Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Utah Jazz are back in action tonight. They're playing the Boston Celtics. Both teams are going to be shorthanded. We're going to get to that coming up, but Mike Conley is out for the Jazz. And then we've got guys uh, out. Marcus Smart is out. And we got some other guys questionable. Uh, we'll have to see how this goes for the Celtics. Uh, the Lakers played last night. Lakers escaped. They were without Anthony Davis, some kind of Achilles issue. So he's sitting on the sideline. And uh, <laughs> they just mess around, and then they turn it on to the end of the game and get to overtime. Okay, there was a foul they shouldn't have committed there at the end, and Shea Gilgis Alexander hit three free throws to send it to overtime. But then the Lakers dominate 9-2 in overtime, and they get out of there with the win. So they're a half game behind the Jazz now. All right, we have more coming up on the BYU-Gonzaga game as uh, BYU loses by 11 at home to Gonzaga. We'll hear from Mark Pope coming up later in the hour. You realize that's the closest game Gonzaga's had in the West Coast Conference this year. And that is the second, tied for the second closest game they played all season. Zags are really good. All right, uh, for those of you who missed it, we had had Lincoln Kennedy on. Raider analyst, former Washington Husky star, former Raider player, and also a Pac-12 network analyst. Had him on to put a wrap on the NFL season and the Super Bowl. Here is Lincoln. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Good. I assume you watch the Super Bowl differently. While everybody else is staring at the quarterbacks, I assume you are staring at the offensive and defensive line play, and I bet you were horrified watching Kansas City's offensive line scramble to protect their quarterback. Well, you know what? For for what it's worth, during this run with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, one of the, if, if there was a weakness in the offense, it was considered the consistency on the offensive line. Now, they were able to make do and, and be able to make plays, obviously, to win the Super Bowl last year. But last night they were exploited. And, and I, I guess what I was surprised mostly as, at is that during the time when the Chiefs have struggled, we've seen Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and this offense be able to make adjustments. Um, but they, they couldn't. And so you tip your hat to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because, for one, you know Todd Bowles is notoriously known as a blitzing defensive coordinator. I think they ran blitzes probably maybe four or five times last night. Everything else was just rushing four and played coverage. So there's a couple of things that we take away from the game. Not only was it a royal drubbing, uh, but for the most part, going forward, the Chiefs are going to be good offensively, uh, and they're going to be they're still going to be good in the, you know for years to come. But you might have seen sort of a formula to maybe negate some of their offensive output and maybe slow that slow down that offense a little bit. It seemed like when you have Tom Brady, obviously, you're going to get the majority of the attention is going to be focused on that side of the ball. But from the start of the season till now, the defense of Tampa Bay really, really came on. And these guys, looking at them in the playoffs, played well. And to me, you know, the offensive line of KC obviously is an issue. But I thought the bigger issue was the success of the defense for Tampa Bay, whether it's Bowles and obviously David and White and whoever, Sue and Barrett, all these guys all look like they were at the best at the time they needed to be. Could you respond to that? I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think what you've seen, especially out of this defense, this defense played with an attitude where it rose to the occasion, almost like it was tired of everybody just focusing on the offensive firepower. They wanted to be claimed and they wanted to, uh, to hear their name uh, and, and do some things. The defense is playing with an attitude. And I noticed it the first time in the playoffs when they played against New Orleans, the way they just they just seemed, you know, ornery. They were going to take what they were going to take and you weren't going to have their way around. And they rolled that throughout the, the playoffs. 
yeah, when you have one of the greatest quarterbacks in history playing on your football team, he's going to get all the credit. And I've always thought about, you know, quarterbacks get way too much credit, uh, and, and, and you know, when things go right, and way too much blame when things go wrong. Uh, but he's going to get all the credit. But this defense played the way they were supposed to, and they really harassed Patrick Mahomes in this offense last night. Having said that, the difference in the game, I mean, both teams, you know, crossing midfield, having chances to score. Well, the Bucks had a half dozen good opportunities, and they got four touchdowns, kicked a field goal. They did get stuffed at the one-yard line on a goal-line stand that no one will remember. Uh, and then for the the Chiefs, they have two passes to the goal line, hit receivers in the face, and I thought they were incredible throws by Mahomes across his body, off the wrong foot, rolling left, throwing right, that stuff, and then kind of the submarine delivery to the goal line. I mean, have we really seen a quarterback do this? I know other guys have had incredible arms and other guys have been scramblers, but this, I mean, those two were just unbelievable. You're absolutely right, but we've seen him do these things before, and that's what makes him so great. Uh, The fact is that because it's a total team game, those receivers have to catch those balls. You know, if if you know those two passes that you're referring to were caught, especially the one that was down on the goal line, which hit the you know the would be receiver right in the face mask, if that was caught, we might be having sort of a different outcome or talking about a different outcome in this game. Not to say that it, you know it might have been a little bit more of a shootout than it seemed to be one sided, but the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs, who have been good during their run over the last couple of years of scoring touchdowns and making their offense one of their better defenses the best defense is by putting pressure on opposing teams. They couldn't do that last night. And the field goals, just to get some points on the board, didn't slow the momentum of the Buccaneers. Conversely, it put more pressure on the Chiefs' offense to try to make plays, and Tampa Bay was right there waiting for it, right there waiting, knowing what you're going to do. So they doubled Tyreek Hill. They doubled Travis Kelsey. They were able to rush four and drop seven and play combo coverages on the back and not get beat deep. And there were other players on the Chiefs team that just did not make plays. So I'm not sure if they got a little full of themselves. They didn't want to show up. What happened? But Patrick Mahomes can't throw to himself and catch everything and do everything himself. He, he tried to do as best he could. So as the analyst for the Raiders, you had the opportunity to see the Chiefs up close twice, including a one time when the Raiders actually won. I believe it was in KC. So as I yep. analyzed the Chiefs in relationship to the AFC West, you get the Raiders – you know, they a little bit of improvement. Expect to see some more Herbert over there with the Chargers and all that. Do you see the Chiefs capable of putting together a Patriots-like run? What I mean by that, I'm just talking about how the Patriots dominated the AFC East for so long. I'm not necessarily talking about winning Super Bowls. I'm talking about winning the division year after year. The Chiefs will be good. They'll, they'll be competitive. The difference to me is I think the AFC West, as compared to the AFC East, where the, where the Patriots dominated, is getting progressively better. We didn't see, you know, when, when, when Brady and the Patriots had their run, you saw, you know, teams like the Jets, the Dolphins try to make strides, but they were never able to get over the hump and challenge the Patriots. And that's one of the things that was lacking for hard to believe, but it was two decades. Other teams just couldn't get it right. I think there's a little bit of difference in the AFC West. I think when you talk about the Chargers having a quarterback in Justin Herbert, they're going to find a way to, to be competitive. I think the Raiders are still going to be competitive, and they're going to challenge the Chiefs. The Chiefs have a, have a big problem. They, they committed so much to their quarterback, and rightfully so, that they have to address that offensive line. Um, and what it looks like right now, Eric Fisher, the, their franchise left tackle, is going to miss all of next season. Um, and he probably is going to count significantly against the cap. 
And what I mean by that is anywhere from up to 13 to 15 million. That's a big thing when you talk about having to get this offensive line better. You might not have as much resources as you think, and that might be the difference. The Patriots didn't really have to worry about that problem because they had a way of controlling the overhead and everything. The Chiefs are going to be a little bit different because the resources they paid out to Patrick Mahomes is going to probably affect them on some other end. I think this, I'm not saying that they're not going to be good or they're going to fall off the top, but they're going to be challenged in different ways because they're not going to be able to hold it together as well as the Patriots did back in the day. So are you hearing any, uh, any good dirt in NFL circles as far as Deshaun Watson? How far is he going to push this? And how much is, are things going to settle down in Houston and he'll be upset but he'll stay? Or, or these two are going to go to the mat and he's going to try to get out of there and they're going to try to keep him and it's just going to go on? I think what's going to have to happen is you've got to sort of you got to court Deshaun Watson as though you're in college and you're trying to recruit him because he has a say so and, and that no trade clause. So there are still teams that are lobbying for you know position to try to figure out a deal, but um, the first thing that's going to happen and we're going to see in the next couple of days is where Carson Wentz is going to go, and I think you'll take a couple of teams out of that once they figure that out. I don't know if if. If I was a general manager, say, if I was a general manager, Mike Mayock and the Raiders, I would make a push to get Deshaun Watson. I know a lot of Raider fans probably don't want to hear it, but I, I think he's a perfect winner that will probably put you over the top. More importantly, he's a guy that can, can extend the play with his legs, and I think that's critical in today's game. Uh, with that being said, I don't know how far the Raiders want to give how much they want to give up, um, but the mindset that the Rams took when they traded Jared Goff to the Detroit Lions and what they gave to get a quarterback so they can win now should be the overwhelming mindset of a lot of teams in the National Football League. Stop trying to worry about building for the future. If you have the ability to win now, make a play for a valuable player and make it happen. As we look at the NFL going forward, obviously it's a pass-driven league now with all the rule changes and all that. Uh, but you see teams like Baltimore and Tennessee who try to do it with the run. Is that, is that possible to have the high level of success if you're more run-oriented run versus passing? Yes, it is possible. Good old-fashioned football still wins, in my opinion. They run in the ball and play in defense. However, the big part is playing defense. You can't – if you're a running football team like the Baltimore Ravens or Tennessee Titans, you and especially in the AFC, you can't afford to allow a team like the Kansas City Chiefs to jump ahead of you by two touchdowns and think that you're going to be able to stay in it. So you have to play ball control, and more importantly, you have to score touchdowns. When it comes down, especially in the AFC, when you look at it for the future, whether it's Buffalo or you know Tennessee or Baltimore, they're going to have to score touchdowns to keep pace with these high-power offenses. Running the ball and controlling the clock doesn't mean anything when you have a, a capable offense that can go down and score in a couple of plays, big play threat. So, yes, the the future is still, uh, you know, with the, the passing league and the ability, these quarterbacks to, to do things like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, so on and so forth. But it's still going to come down to good old-fashioned football. you got to be able to run the ball. Hey, are you surprised that Alabama can lose 15 people, a combination of assistant coaches and analysts? That kind of turnover doesn't seem to bug Saban at all. He just I, I assume he just gets a flurry of resumes and phone calls, and there's just a line of people trying to get in the door. But it still seems like that kind of turnover, but nothing impacts him, even that kind of turnover. Yeah, you know, one, one thing that you can take in, in, in South when it comes to Alabama is that 
we already know they've got blue chippers sitting on the fence, on the on the bench. They've got you know top 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 recruits waiting for their chance to go in because you know their recruiting tool is that your your kid will be in the National Football League in the next three years. Uh, the, the same thing goes for a lot of the coaches. It's a stepping stone. Um, I'm not surprised. I I am surprised that the rest, like the SEC, for example, just can't catch up. Whatever Alabama's doing. If you could try to put together a good class, we saw what LSU did, you know, a year back when they ran, won the national championship. But other than that, they they weren't able to, to to keep it going. There has not been any consistency, especially for that the rest of that division. Yes, Florida's in the conversation, Georgia's in the conversation, but none to the extent of Alabama. And to me, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that every year we're going to talk about the same. Well, for me, for at least media future, we're going to talk about the same top college football teams: Ohio State. Clemson and Alabama. There's got to be more parity in this country than just those three teams. But those are going to be the reflection because those are the ones that are on top, and no one else is really close to, 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 to dethroning them. Now, we'll see how the Pac-12 does next year when you know Oregon and Washington have to take on Ohio State. It's a way to get some recognition, but you got to win those football games. And in the past, the Pac-12 hasn't been able to do it. No, it's kind of boring when it comes to that, seeing the same two or three teams in there. Very boring. <laughs> I mean, I love college football, but then right at the end, it's like uh, you're going to see this great movie, and then the last uh, couple of scenes, eh, that sucked. Yeah. I just can't I can't get into it. I did want to ask you one other question about uh, the uh-huh. Bucks, though. Yeah. They, we, we keep hearing that uh, – the players, even going back to Arizona, love to play for Bruce Bruce Arians. What does that right. mean? It means, you know, every coach I've ever played for, and trust me, my league, especially in the National Football League, I had a lot of different coaches. Every coach had the same theme opening day. Buy into what we're selling. Buy into our program. You know, devout yourself to – what we believe in in our way and we're going to try to take you to the promised land and bruce arians is no different the the fact that he allowed tom brady to come to the team well one thing that they got him but the fact he allowed to bring somebody like an antonio brown some like a justin fournette i mean jason fournette the these players that came in from other teams and combined you know the indomitian Sues and the, you know the barretts and all the players all the different personalities they blend it, and they still find a way to win a championship. It's very commendable. You don't see that on a lot of teams, especially in the National Football League, because the personalities generally rule. But you had a LaShawn McCoy on the bench. I mean, you, you had namesakes, for what it's worth, on this team, and they all contributed to the season's win. That's a great testament to Bruce Arians. And one of the things that most people love about him, especially working with him, is that he allows them to be him, themselves. So the coaches – they, he allows them to coach. He doesn't micromanage them. He, he's the one. He's the sort of the overseer, but he doesn't micromanage people and allows them to give the freedom to express themselves, to explore their abilities and see what they can do. And if they need help, they can come to him and approach him and figure it out. But people love working with him because he allows them to be themselves. Lincoln, we appreciate you coming on all year long and talking football with us. And uh, we promise not to bother you until spring football starts. <laughs> Which Guys, isn't that far away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what is it, a month or so? Anyway. I know, right? <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Be safe. There's Lincoln Kennedy with PK and I. When I come back, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Stay with us. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Jimmy Slowers. Jimmy Flowers reminding you Valentine's Day is Sunday. Flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy Flowers, a longtime partner with Zone, and they can make it easy. Just visit them at jimmysflowers.com. Remember, Valentine's Day is on Sunday. Jimmy Flowers at jimmysflowers.com. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, jazz fans are a mixed bunch right now. Jazz have won 15 out of 16 games, and there are people who are ready to dream. There are the people who are superstitious, do not, just, do not even want us to speak of it, and I don't know how we cannot speak of it because, you know, it's, a, it's radio. If we sit here in silence, that kind of defeats the purpose. And they got the best record in the NBA a third of the way through the season here. What else can you say other than you either have to be a contender. When you have the best record, you're either the favorite or you're a contender. Realistically, the Lakers are the defending champs. They're a game back. They're the favorite. The Jazz are at least a contender. In your mind, what's the number one reason they're a legit contender? Their depth, I think, more, more than anything. I think they, and I mean, I, I think I just think the depth and the consistency by which they've played. Um, Mitchell, Bogdanovich, Conley, Clarkson, uh, Anil. I mean, game in and game out, there hasn't been the real highs and lows like you get in a season, and. and I mean, this this whole thing with games being postponed and canceled and the COVID and and for whatever reason, some organizations have struggled more with that than others. Others struggle with injuries, but the Jazz have been kind of free of injury. They've had a few COVID issues, but nothing real dramatic. And they've just been consistent in, in playing together and doing what they've always done. I think the other thing that is, is unique to this season is there's really no home court advantage. And so what happens is this. You take a more experienced, mature team that, uh, you know, could go on the road and have a really difficult time at different places that they're, you know, teams that maybe they don't match up well with. They're able to win these games on the road uh, because there isn't that influence of uh, a home court advantage like there has been in the past. And with a mature group, a group that's been together, that's unselfish, they play selfless basketball, uh, I think they're going to flourish in, in, in this kind of situation and setup. And I think that uh, it's much like uh, they had the bubble. You know, they they played well. They didn't play well enough, but this year they're playing better than they've ever played. And, and, and night in and night out, you can pretty much count on Mitchell Bogdanovich, Conley, Clarkson. You know, you're, you're getting 10, 15, 20, what the different averages that they are, but they've been real consistent. So I think that's why you look at this team as a contender. But I, I still believe that the real X factor in this whole thing, and which will have an impact on uh, really, I think who ends up being the NBA champion is number one, uh, COVID. And I think that how that plays out, and if we're going to go back to the bubble, you know, what that's going to look like. And then the teams that have to deal with protocol, the, the, the protocol, you're losing guys, two and three guys a week, and you don't have that continuity. 
you can put yourself in a hole so that, uh, you know, maybe all of a sudden a first-round matchup is not one you want. So I think there are things that are impacting it. But the thing for me, most of all, is that they've just been consistent and mature. They're a veteran group. They're well-coached. And, uh, and they're playing with a lot of confidence. How much has the three-point shot become an equalizer now? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it is the game. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. And, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, being in professional arenas when I was younger and, and shooting that thing. And, it se- you know, it, it, it seemed like a, a pretty long way, 25, 26 feet, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, I never thought that it would, when it first came in, I knew that it would impact the game, especially in the college game at, you know, 18 or 19 feet. But uh, it's had a huge impact. And and what happens is that you can spread the floor with shooters. It makes it so much harder to defend people. I mean, it's kind of like you can't leave this guy, you know, who you're going to help on. And hence, you know, we don't see a lot of low post players in, in, in the league. There just aren't. And the, the game is driven by the three-point ball and good defense and transition baskets and scoring. I mean, the scores have been unbelievable. A lot of games in the 130s, 140s throughout the NBA. Uh, but, yeah, it's that, that's, that is the most significant part of the game today that has, has changed professional basketball. I mean, I, I didn't think that it would take off like it is, but you know, now everybody shoots the three. And, uh, and, and you know what? Jazz got guys that can do it. I mean, Gobert's not really a three-point shooter, but everybody around him is, and, and he knows his role. He, you know, he doesn't need – I mean, when, he, when Gobert gets 20 and 20 and has big nights like that, they're, they're nearly unstoppable. But, I mean, they, they can win without Gobert getting 20 points. Uh, they don't need that inside. Floor opens, and uh, guys are playing with a lot of confidence. So I think the thing that's happened with the Jazz that has been encouraging here is not only have they won, but they've lost Joe Ingles for a couple of games, and they kept winning. They lost Donovan Mitchell for a couple of games, and they won them both. Now Mike Conley's out, and they win in Indiana, and they don't shoot the three well, but they defend well. They only give up 95 points, and they get 17 offensive rebounds and 24 points off of them. So even though they're missing a guy and they're playing their third game in four days and they're not shooting the three well, they still beat a 500 team on the road. Granted, watered down road, as you point out. But that kind of stuff is encouraging because it's one thing to win when everything goes right. You could probably go back to some of your teams and the most satisfying wins are winning when everything doesn't go right. Yeah, there's, there's no question about that. And I think, and, and the mo- and thing is, those are the types of wins that give you the most confidence and the expectation level. I mean, when obviously every team has great coaches, coaching staffs. But when teams are kind of more player-led and they have that kind of mindset that, you know, we, we can do this, we can win on the road with or without an individual, and somebody else has to step up, or we individually we've got to be better. And, and you see that with more mature teams. And, uh, you know, there's not – you start looking at their roster, and I, I, didn't, I haven't done the research on it, but they've been together for a while now, you know. And, I mean, Connolly being the newest member – of that team, but a seasoned veteran. It's not like he's going mean, to struggle at times last year, but he's come in and really, Bogdanovich has really, really shot the ball well. Clarkson could start on any team in the NBA probably. Uh, and, and then with, with Mitchell and Engel and, and others, O'Neal, 
Uh, and it's it's nice guys. So, you know, I can't remember the, the exact name, but Ingle stepped up in a couple of those ball games where, you know, he, he ended up having 18, 19 points. And when guys can step up, and I think, you know, I don't think for Joe Ingle that he feels he goes into a game when they're healthy and full that he has to score 20 points. I mean, he'll take the shots that are there. But when guys are missing and he can do that and step into that role, uh, it, it makes them better. But I, I'm, I, I'll just go back to teams that, in, in collegiate level, it would be teams that have, you know, a lot of seniors, teams that have guys that have played that uh, practices aren't as long, uh, seldom are the mistakes as often as they are when you have younger players. And I, I watch the NBA. I see a lot of new names and a lot of new guys, two-year you know, two players. Uh, they're, they're in organizations that don't have the chemistry and have the culture that the Jazz have. And uh, it's, it's, harder to, it's harder to beat teams like the Jazz uh, if you don't have those things. And, and we talk about that stuff all the time. That, that it's, it's important, you know. Well, that's true. There are five or six teams in the conference right now or in the, in the league that could win the championship. You know, we could talk about those who those are. And in pretty much every one of those situations, they have a really, really strong culture. They have, they have people who know who they are. They know their roles. Uh, they understand the system they're in. Doesn't mean they can't have off nights. Then there's another collection of five or six teams who can get hot and get it going. But to go through a whole series of playoffs and that grind, there's, there's only, you know, there's five or six teams that can do that. And, and Utah is one of them. And, and to be honest with you, I don't think they've been one, one of those teams. And, and, now, and now I think they are. I think they believe it. I think probably the coaching staff's always felt that. But that's one of the really challenging and important things that a coaching staff can get young people to believe in who they are. And, and trust it and, you know, and just be together. And the Jazz seem to be a team that everybody looks around the league. You always hear them talking about, you know, the maturity of this team. Not that they're old, but the maturity of this team and there's, they're, the way they play, how unselfish they are, and the fact that they're a really good shooting team. And as you mentioned earlier, David, that they're, they're garden people. They're garden people. And when they're not shooting well, and that's the perfect formula for winning on the road when you can guard and rebound and get to the free throw line. So uh, they're doing all the things they got to do, but you're right. I mean, you, you look at the Lakers, you look at the Clippers in their own division. The, those are teams that are going to have to be reckoned with. But it, I've never seen, after 25 so games, <laughs> to see the difference from one year to the next. You know, where you, you're looking at Miami, a team that was in the bubble, in the finals, and you know, at the, at the bottom of the standings or to, you know, I, I wasn't sure I was seeing Philadelphia at the top. Milwaukee's back, though. Brooklyn, we expect to be there. Boston, uh, you know, those are probably the four teams. I mean, Boston's been playing without Brown for, for a while now, and uh, they're, they're still hanging in there. But there's, like I said, there's a collection of six or seven teams. Denver seems to be playing better. But, again, they all kind of have – a lot of them just don't have the depth that uh, or the, or, may, or maybe uh, that additional that third superstar that helps them get over the top. So, but I, I the Jazz, they're they're here. I mean, I start looking who they're playing next week, and uh, I mean they're going to they're they're going to come home and probably be twenty three and five. I mean I, they've got a chance to win every game they play this week. I mean they could lose one, but they're in a really good position to separate themselves, not so much maybe from the Lakers and the Clippers, but from everybody else in the league. 
How much do you think we've discovered a little bit of a blueprint going forward, maybe even down to the colleges, surround a great defensive player? Now, it's hard to get that great defensive player of the caliber of Gobert. I understand that. But maybe go with the philosophy of defense at the rim and then sort of build out from there and make sure that virtually at all times you've got four three-point shooters out on the floor and maybe you lack a little bit of tremendous high-level elite athleticism, but you've got highly skilled guys who can dribble, pass, and shoot combined with that defensive anchor in the middle. No, no, I really like that thought. And I think that the and when I talk about um, teams that their culture or the maturity of a team, it's, it's when they, they understand – what a good shot is and what a good shot isn't, you know, and, and certainly with the shot clock that's going very quickly. Um, I, I think that the one offensive piece that I noticed is that this is a team that it, it's, it's add one and another, you know I mean? It, it, they're going to make the extra pass because they have confidence in each other. And that instills confidence in your teammates. When you are on a team, uh, a, a veteran team that understands this game and you can make that extra pass and make one more and trust that the guy and the expectation is, hey, man, you shoot it. And there isn't anything like you know, Donovan Mitchell's a guy that takes all the big shots. Well, that may happen just kind of organically through the course of a game, but at the end of the day, I don't think that's the mindset of this team. They all believe that they can. And and, and your your comments on, you know, four, four out, shooting the three, uh, running back cutting action, running Princeton stuff. You know, it's, it's incredible how people pick up in this league. It's kind of a copycat league to certain degrees. I mean, there's only so many things you can do, but spreading the floor and, and there isn't a team out there that isn't running some Princeton principles with back cuts and uh, curl cuts over the top and back to the ball and things that uh, that were made famous at uh, Princeton in the Ivy League. Those concepts have become part of the four out where you spread the floor, you get backdoor cuts, you get layups, you get threes. It's hard to guard. And, and when you have, and, and so the post guy isn't that important in that sense. I mean, he can, he can and for, for Gobert, I mean, he can set ball screens, uh, he can dive, he can have ball, he can have uh, back screens for him, dive into the basket. But spreading that floor, opening that floor allows. Extra cuts, better spacing, and uh, taking advantage of, of, of a team that can really shoot the three. You start playing like that, and I'll tell you what, it, it's hard to – when you get down to a team like that, 8, 10, 12 points, it's really hard to come back because they, it, to just get – if you have to go, really go out and stretch your defense to 27, 28 feet, what, well, they already have a system in place – that's exactly how they want you to play them. So now all of a sudden you dribble at a guy, boom, go to catch, back door, the floor is wide open. And, they're, you know, obviously the help rules in, in, the, in the NBA are different than they are in college. And so, you know, you have to be something, you have to be within five or six feet of your man. The floor just opens up when you have four perimeter players and you run good stuff. You know, I, I watch some ugly basketball in the NBA at times where the ball's in one guy's hand and, and everybody stands, they don't move, <laughs> and then they just penetrate, okay? We, we've all seen that. Yeah. It's like, did you, did you have practice this week? <laughs> I mean, tell me you got somebody that's working with you on offensive principles. But you, that's – I mean, we see teams do this, and to a degree it works, but at the end of the day, typically those aren't teams winning championships.
You know, Steve, this whole thought about uh, shooting threes and that's the way the game is going, I wonder how much this is getting. Some of it probably is just kids screwing around do it naturally, but how much coaches are getting them into these kind of workouts when they're really young because it, you can't just be a catch-and-shoot guy. You know, can you shoot it off the dribble? Can you shoot it going left? Can you shoot it going right? And to the degree they see Steph Curry and just go out and mimic him, they're, get, they're getting the work in. But it seems like if you start putting up a lot of shots every day, off the dribble going left, off the dribble going right, catch and shoot, you could it, – it's a skill that I think a lot of kids could add if they just work at it. You know what, I, I have grandchildren right now, an uh, 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 13-year-old. And uh, one of them is in Utah, and two of them are here, and they're playing IAU teams. And it, it's interesting to see the really high level of coaching that's taking place. Number one, I know my son Casey, <clears throat> who played for me and uh, in, in junior college, and, and they got in an accident, they couldn't play. But he, he's coaching these teams. I'm so impressed. I mean, I didn't see this 20 years ago, but I'm so impressed with the the, the material that's there. I mean, I, I, I look at my my son Casey, who's on YouTube, and there, there's so much teaching and training and different things that you can learn and pick up. And you go and watch 10, 11, 12-year-olds, I mean, they're doing things with the ball that we weren't teaching until players got into high school or college. They're growing up with this mindset. They're watching these players play. How, you know, you're, when you're teaching a 10-year-old to uh, basically create separation, you know, with a jab, with a dribble, with uh, a back dribble, and those kinds of things, players are going to get better. So the, the young people that are watching this game that are 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, they're – you know, I think AAU gets a, a kind of a bad rap to some degree. I mean, there, there is a lot of good things happening in a lot of outstanding AAU programs. And you go and watch those, and I've had a chance just to kind of watch those from a different perspective as a grandfather. Uh, it's amazing some really, really good teachings going on. And that's going to carry over that by the time these kids are 14, 15, or 16, they know how to create space. They know where the spots on the floor they want to shoot. And I, I tell my grandsons all the time, I said, you do not have to be a great shooter from six spots on the floor. I said, I, I, I think it was Jerry West said that, uh, he, you know, whatever he did, he got to two spots on the floor. The majority of his shots I, were always the intention was to get to one or two spots on the floor where he had complete confidence in. And I've always kind of believed that as a player myself. When I played, I knew the, the, the right wing and the you know, left baseline corner. I knew where I felt comfortable shooting. You know, these younger coaches, they're, they're talking to kids about these things. That's, that's kind of next-level coaching. I mean, I, I know all the things that are wrong with AAU basketball and everything that goes with that, but the teaching is getting better and, and because there's so much on uh, the Internet. And, and then you go into towns and communities where they've got some wonderful young coaches in towns across the country we're teaching kids how to create space and do things. And everything's being garnered right now throughout the country to help young people play on the perimeter. And it doesn't matter if they're the tallest kid in the team, but to help them play on the perimeter, figure out ways that they can get into their best shot uh, by the use of the, of the ball, by the use of the pass. And so it's kind of fun to watch younger kids. So that, that the NBA is having a great influence. And it's, it, it's falling down to college as well. 
you see a way more spread out, uh, focus on the dribble, focus on the pass, ball movement, tons of ball screens. But it used to be, you know, it was just a high ball screen, come off at roll, and, uh, you know, if they switched, you, you could – he could you could come back, pack to him and, and, and uh, re-screen. But now, now it's a ball screen, take it deep, come at a guy as if it were a Princeton cut, dribble right at him, he back cuts. I mean, there's four or five things incorporated in the offense today that I really, really like, that I, I would love to be coaching at this time. And we, we used the three ball, and I ran a lot of quick hitters and a lot of sets for, for my teams, whereas a lot of people just let them play and flow. You know, everybody had a different philosophy. But I'm really impressed with the teaching, and the NBA has had a huge influence on that, especially with young people. So, yeah, I, I think that players are going to be way more prepared to play this way, and, uh, and unless they give a two-handed, behind-the-head dunk or trick shots inside, I think, and it's worth four points, I think that uh, the three ball is going to continue to be uh, the main course for the NBA for a long time. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. When we come back, Mark Pope, BYU basketball coach, after the Cougars give Gonzaga their closest game in conference play. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. BYU loses 82-71 to Gonzaga at home. That is the closest game Gonzaga has played in the West Coast Conference this year. And it's the tied for the second closest game they've played all season. They've only had one game that was decided by double digits. They're just destroying people. And BYU, I know they're going to look back at the box score and at the film and think about this game, think all the things that they could have done different because they got off to a terrible start. You know, they were down double digits in the opening minutes of the game. It just, shoom. <laughs> it was, and basically traded hoops from there. And... You also have to look at the 19 turnovers. That's way too many. And BYU has several big guys who have helped the team at different times this year, but none of the three of them really made any impact uh, on, on this game. Uh, just none of them. I mean, the three big guys combined 2.7 rebounds and an assist. You know, that, that would be a small line for any of these guys. But, uh, you know, Harms was, Harms was a non-factor. Colby Lee was kind of a non-factor, and Harward didn't give him much. And I'm sure all three of those guys are thinking, I, I could have I done better than that. But Gonzaga's got good bigs, and they take you out of games, and, and they did it to three guys at the same time. And, and with all those mistakes, all those things that, you know, they'd like to go back and change, and guys would like to change whatever pass they threw and got picked off and taken the other way, 11 points. That's about as close as anyone's been getting to Gonzaga. So, for BYU, I don't think that's going to hurt them as far as their seeding in the tournament field. I don't think I don't think the committee is going to hold that against them. All right, let's listen to head coach Mark Pope. Here he is after the game. Really proud of our guys. Uh, you know, we had some things that we didn't do well and some areas of the game where we struggled. But uh, with the exception of a stretch of four or five minutes, I thought the guys fought really hard and and uh, tried to compete and and. Um, you know, we continue to work hard and, and get better, and that's that's the agenda at hand. 
Great. Uh, we'll go with Darnell Dixon, Mitch Harper, and then Matthew Coles with AP. Mark, what is it that Gonzaga does that gets you guys off your game at the start, I guess, and then some of the other parts of the game where you can't get done what you want to get done? What is it they're doing that, that turns that for you? Well, they, uh, you know, they're long in the backcourt and they kind of jump in passing lanes and they have really good makeability in their backcourt. Um, they started small today, which surprised us a little bit. Um, I don't know if they've started that way the whole season. Uh, I'd have to go back and check, but today they started small and uh, they, they came out uh, playing with tremendous pace and um, they're deceptively physical. Um, you know, they kind of took it to us again in the, in the terms of the physicality of the game and their, their bigs do that in a, in a, in a surprising way, but they do it consistently every single night and their guards are really, really physical and they're really long. And so again, tonight it took us a minute, you know, we, we, um, you know, we, we kind of talked about the start. We mapped out the start. We talked about how we wanted to do it, um, exactly what we're doing. We just couldn't execute it. Um, and that's a credit to Gonzaga, and, and it's uh, something we need to uh, continue to fix. Mark, last time uh, when you faced these guys in the kennel, you, you know, you kind of came away that uh, weren't thrilled with just the – what you guys put out on, on the court. I mean, as far as what you did tonight, uh, were you pleased? Do you feel like your team got better after tonight's performance facing the top team in the country? Well, there was, there was more parts of the game that made some sense. Uh, we had a couple stretches where, you know, uh, the, the start of the game obviously was tricky for us. And uh, there was a stretch, uh, stretch, you know, mid second half where it got to almost 20 or got to 21 and where we just, you know, there was some some dysfunction out there. There was, uh, you know, we, we missed some defensive assignments. They were, you know, they were challenging for us in ball screen and rolls. I felt like we were a little bit uh, too far off the DA line, and that's not us. So there were moments where I was really surprised that I was just like, this is not how we function. But I, I felt like for 30 minutes of the game, we, we at least um, were recognizable to ourselves. And, um, you know... The game's 40 minutes, so we need to do that better, but we will. We'll keep getting better, and we'll figure some things out, and we'll keep growing, and, and uh, we'll get there. What do they do especially well to turn you guys over, especially like uh, Alex talked about? You know, the first of the game was, was not good, but then it, there was a stretch in the second half where it was kind of devastating. Yeah. You know, two things. I thought in the beginning of the second half, it was just, it was just hard for us to, we just were in a foul situation. You know, they doubled us up from the free throw line and, and uh, we, they got in the bonus really early in the second half. And I thought that was uh, troublesome for us. Um, not just for, you know, not just because of fouls and free throws, but also because of rotation issues. Now we're, you know, seven guys because of foul issues and that's challenging for us. And then, um, you know, their length was problematic for us. Um, you know, there are times uh, in this game where we're actually really good and aggressive. We want to be really aggressive in transition. And so our pass heads were actually really good. And then the ball just died. Uh, you know, we just want to stop and probe on the wing and that's not what we do ever. Um, and so I was a little disappointed with the pass after, after the pass ahead. That was a little bit of a problem for us tonight. Um, you know, I was disappointed with us physically in the post. You know, they just, um, you know, they kind of had their way with us in the post offensively. Uh, Timmy did, and he's obviously an elite, elite player. And and we were struggling to just get a, 
a post catch within 14 feet. And, um, and, and, you know, we need to be, we need to be way more physical in our front line. We have to figure that out. That's a, that's a, that's a place we go that we trust that saves us, that can steady us. And it was not an answer for us tonight. And that's problematic. Um, and so, you know, uh, you know, when, when you can't go there and, and, and you're, you're kind of, you don't have that space to kind of occupy, uh, it also makes it more difficult. And so, you, you know, you, you turn the ball over 19 times against Gonzaga, the game's going to be really hard. It just is. And, and that's what we did tonight. Jake and then Norma. Yeah, coach. You and your players have talked in the past about how important it is when you guys lose a game to get back out there and play once again. You guys currently don't have games scheduled until next week. Do you have any idea if you guys will have a game this week or are you guys going to have a bye this weekend ahead of Pacific next Thursday? Yeah, so we... um... You know, we've kind of put a, uh, put some legwork into trying to find a game, um, but I haven't I haven't uh, you know dove in head first yet because we we were kind of we didn't want to get ahead of ourselves. So we'll spend some time tonight as a staff, kind of mapping it out, and and then hit the phones hard in the morning and see if we can find um, something that works for us right now. It's it's a uh, you know, this is super unprecedented and, and down now in the stretch run of this season, it's actually, um, you know, finding games and finding the right games and finding the games at the right time for your team is super important right now. And so um, we'll jump on that and I'm not sure where we're going to end up. Hopefully we can find uh, a game that fits us really, really well. Kind of off. You guys, if you guys have any, uh, you guys any getting, getting good contacts good power five top 20 teams you got any dirt on anybody out there that can force them to jump in this thing we'll we'll travel so i'm brushed out of that coach but um off topic from tonight as a, no, but don't 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 try and pretend like you don't have some pull no nobody knows me nobody cares about me it's fine it's cool i'm no one but as an rgb native i did want to get uh your thoughts on the sudden passing of coach hill and just it, it, it surprises all pretty much. What, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just devastating. And I, I just feel for Lou's family and his team. Um, you know, I got to know him really well. We, we, you know, we, we, we were good friends actually before he even got the job at Rio Grande Valley. And then, and then of course we were competing against each other in the WAC. and, um, I love him. He's one of the, he's, he's just a special, he, he's, he was just a special human being with a giant heart and, um, a ton of love for the game and brought so much joy. And he was a good friend uh, to everybody in the game of basketball and, you know, I just, it just is almost beyond imagination that he coaches a game and, and then, you know, within 24 hours, he's, he's passed. It's just, is um, it's awful. And I, 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 like I said, I feel, I feel so sad for his family. Um, I feel so sad for uh, Rio Grande Valley and, and all of college basketball. Cause we lost a great one. Like we lost a great, great human being. All right, let's take a last question from Sean Walker. Yeah, Coach, I, I think you touched on this a little bit, but did you see tonight kind of some of those flashes or glimpses against obviously the best team that you you can play or have played this year? Did you see kind of some of those glimpses of, of what 
you've talked about wanting to see um, out of this team and kind of where you guys can can go because I mean like you said it did feel like there were probably a good 20 25 minutes there where you played really really good basketball yeah I mean Sean you say that it's just like a dagger to my heart man that we're talking about playing good basketball 20 25 minutes but I understand what you're saying and you're right it's just it's hard to swallow um uh yeah, I, I, listen. I thought um, I thought our driving lines were outstanding. Uh, I thought uh, our high ball screen actions were really, really good. Whether it was weak UCLA or horns twist or you know a, a, a you know a, a pitch second side drag or uh, drags in transition were good for us. I thought Alex did an unbelievable job, kind of being forceful. I thought I thought Spence from the wing did a nice job, kind of managing some ball screen action. And I thought our physicality on the offensive end in terms of gaining uh, driving lines and buying space and time was just, um, it was just light years ahead of where we were when we played at the Zags for sure. Um, and so I, I really feel positive about that. I felt like we, we had a lot more activity in transition. I thought we had a lot, lot more force in transition, even if our decision-making wasn't great and even if the outcome wasn't great. So I was, I was really pleased with that. Um, I was, I felt like our ball screen defense kind of fell to pieces a little bit at times. I was a little bit discouraged with that. And I was, I was really discouraged with our ineffectiveness kind of playing out of the post and our physicality on the glass. So um, I, I thought we saw some flash of positivity and some things where we're just like, man, we're not even close and, uh, or we weren't close tonight. Um, and that's what great teams do to you. They, they, um, you know, they, they challenge kind of every nook and cranny of who you are and what you do. And so it's, um, it's a good marker for us to get better and we have to get better We're you know, we're down to crunch time in the season. We got to get better. There's BYU basketball coach Mark Pope after the loss to Gonzaga. We'll be back with What is Trending, all the headlines. Jazz playing the Celtics tonight, and we'll get to that next. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Being able to adjust to every game and figure out how you win. As I said, I thought tonight the offensive glass played a big part in it and we hit some timely, timely threes. But the one thing that's consistent through all that is the ability to defend. And I think our guys are doing a really good job of executing in a game plan. And they're also connected enough that they're making, you know, adjustments on their own in specific situations. I thought Royce and, and Rudy in particular did an excellent job of that tonight. That's Quinn Snyder learning how to win different ways. And that was after the win in Indiana. Now they're back home to face the Boston Celtics. Jazz are going to be missing Mike Conley. Celtics are going to be without Marcus Smart. Plus, they lifted, listed Jalen Brown as questionable. He's day-to-day with uh, knee problems. Smart's out with a calf injury, and Conley's got the hamstring issue. So, depending on who plays, I guess you can uh, put this game uh, up as a big game or... Just another in a long march through the middle of the league, PK. Celtics are coming in 12-10 and 10 in this one. What do you mean by big game? Do you view the Celtics as a quality team? And then there's a question, well, I view them as a quality team if they have Jalen Brown. But if missing Brown and Smart, now they're just a middling team. And when they get their guys back, they'll be quality. I don't know how you're going to rank the Celtics. I mean, they're okay. With or without these guys, they're okay. 
Uh, I, I don't think they're anything big threat. Even Jalen Brown, I didn't realize he was Larry Bird here. So chalk it up. This ought to be five in a row then, which would be 16 out of 17. Be an awesome run. Well, I think when you're the, at the level the Jazz are playing, you're like the Lakers. Well, sure. You chalk it up, if that's what you want to say. Uh, but the Lakers' last two games, they've needed overtime to win. They're better than these opponents, but on any given game, you never know. But uh, obviously, when I look at the rosters, I think the Jazz are better than the Celtics. And going forward, just about every game that they're going to play, I think the Jazz are going to be better. If you look at it that way, you got to go win the game. But if you're going to step back and look at it, I think they're better than just about every opponent that they're going to play this season. Jazz tip off tonight at 8 o'clock. The game is on TNT. Our coverage right here on The Zone starts at 7 o'clock. Jake Hatch, Tim Lacombe with Jazz Game Night, the pregame show. At Jake Hatch, wow. Jake Scott, Tim Lacombe. I'm getting the call up to the big leagues. Let's go. o'clock. You really would be. I mean, you're already here a lot. That would really put you just get a cotton move in at that point. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Washington to ball. Right side. Catch and shoot three is good. LaMelo ball. Seven threes. A Hornets rookie record tying triple. Porzingis against Reed with five to shoot. Puts it on the floor. Got by him and to the rim. Going to the floor and laid it up and in. Moving from left to right. To the left corner, Murray with two to shoot. Murray's got to fire up a shot in a hurry from the corner. He does. A three-pointer. It's good. DeJounte Murray switches a left corner three at the end of the shot clock. And the Spurs now lead 101-97. Schroeder wants LeBron. Gets it to him. Dort has that assignment. And LeBron just spins and slams. <laughs> Spinning slam for the King. Lakers, as PK mentioned, in overtime. They beat the Oklahoma City Thunder 119-112. to They didn't have Anthony Davis in that game. LeBron came up with a triple-double. He had that after three quarters, actually, and finished with 28 points, 14 rebounds, 12 assists. They dominated the OT. They won that 9-2. Good rally late and a ridiculous foul in the final couple of seconds to give Oklahoma City three free throws and and get that thing to OT. But they cleaned it up and won it in OT anyway. Yes, they did. They are a half game behind the Jazz. Uh, Other teams in the West... You heard the Spurs beating the Warriors there. DeJounte Murray had 27 points and 10 rebounds. Steph Curry with another shooting exhibition and hit a ridiculous buzzer-beating three-pointer, but it wasn't enough. The Warriors waiting for Klay Thompson to get back to whatever the, the next round of the Warriors is going to look like. It ought to be better than this as they uh, battle in the bottom half of the playoff contenders right now. Spurs beat them 105-100. Yeah, that's who they are, bottom half. I would agree with that. Nuggets have lost four, three in a row, four out of five. The only win in that stretch is beating the Jazz. They got beat by the Bucks, 125-112. They were doing all right there in the first half, but the Bucks came out in the third quarter and took over and pulled away to a pretty comfortable win. Chris Middleton finishing with 29 points and 12 assists. You've been talking about Murray. He can't replicate the bubble in a, another game where he couldn't replicate the bubble, shooting 4 of 17. Yeah, I think the Nuggets have a star and a half. I don't think Murray is, I don't think anybody's going to be looking at him. Boy, he needs to get himself on that all-star team. Obviously, Mr. Jokic is just all that. I mean, he. we didn't talk about it. We had 50 the other night. Uh, but he's a phenomenal player. But other than that, 
You know, they need guys to get hot, and you're not sure. They've got guys capable, but they don't think they have the consistent level that you need, that you define by as a star. And you got guys who can score from time to time, but they're not, you don't know from game to game what they're going to do, which is why they're sort of a middle team here in the Western Conference. The Mavericks, are they the biggest disappointment in the West this year? Rolling along in 13th place right now. They did pick up a win. They beat the Timberwolves 127-122. Porzingis and Luka Doncic combining for 53 points as they beat the Timberwolves, who are the worst team in the West. Rockets get blown uh, out. Sure. Uh, Rockets get blown out by the Hornets, 119-94. Lamelo Ball, another big game, 24 points and 10 assists. You heard a highlight from him there in the uh, montage Yacht just played. As the uh, the Rockets go down to defeat, they're back under 500 again at 11 and 12. Yeah, we didn't talk about this because it was Friday night uh, when the Jazz played the Hornets, but Ball was very good on this one, and then he was very good on that one too. I was watching a good portion of that game being on NBA television. That's two games now that I've seen him. Don't watch a lot of Charlotte Hornet basketball, if at all, but I did the last couple of games here, the last few days anyway, and he looks like uh, he might be worthy of that high pick. Suns have won three in a row and six out of seven. They are now five games over 500. Fourth in the West to beat the Cavaliers, 119 to 113. Predictably... Devin Booker had a big game for him. 36 points, 8 assists, but they did it uh, shorthanded. No Chris Paul. He's out with a hamstring injury, and I always expect he's going to miss some games at some point. We'll see how serious this is and how long he is out, but for one night, they were fine without him. Yeah, don't discount the loss of Dario Sarge, too. Left ankle sprain. He's out. Bulls' Laurie Markinen out two to four weeks. A sprained shoulder. Bring that in the loss to the Orlando Come on, Magic. pronounce it. I know you want to. I put it in there just for you. Acromio clavicular. Good job. Oh, really? Yeah, no idea. I don't know where that acromio clavicular joint is. It's in the top of your shoulder right now. You had a shoulder injury once upon a time. You know anything about the shoulder, PK? Can you help us out? It hurt. There you go. Bill Baino resigned with the Indiana Pacers, citing mental health as a reason. 58 years old, began a leave of absence two weeks ago. Uh, now you're going to leave the club here. And he's a former UNLV head coach a million million years ago, right? He was, yes. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. Kispert bounces to Timmy, cutting the paint. Finger roll up and in. A beautiful move from Drew Timmy. The foul on Harms, and Drew's headed to the free throw line. Bulldogs swinging around the perimeter to Suggs. Suggs pulls up for a deep three and hits it. All net Jalen Suggs. Gonzaga Bulldogs hold off a late charge by BYU, and they win the basketball game by a final score of 82-71. to Cougars fall to 15-5 on the year. They're 6-3 in league. They got down 15-2. And never really recovered from that. Never could really put pressure on Gonzaga anytime they got into single digits. It seemed like Gonzaga just pushed it right back to 15. Gonzaga is 19-0 on the year. And in the Gonzaga locker room, they're talking about what a close game this was because this is almost as close a game as they played all year. They did have a five-point game with West Virginia. But other than that, 11- and 12-point games are the next closest game they played. So I guess they were sweating this, PK. 
I don't know if they were sweating it. I mean, they're they're just really good. I can't speak for them, but I was disappointed with the Cougars. It looks like they were scared, intimidated, and frightened, and all that stuff at the start. Just had no competitive fire at the beginning of the game. 19 turnovers, a big problem. Gave up a lot of uh, transition buckets there. Made it easy for Gonzaga. Barcelo led the way with uh, 24 points. Jalen Suggs was lighting it up for Gonzaga. He finished with 24. Yeah, Barcelo had 20. But uh, it was him and Averitt and, and Loner and Johnson were the guys who looked like they weren't intimidated. Pretty much everybody else in my mind looked like they were scared. BYU is supposed to play St. Mary's in San Diego, but those games have been postponed during COVID concerns. Mark Pope said the staff will meet today and try to figure out who they could play, who they might play, who it's a good idea for them to play. So see if we hear any announcements out of BYU in the next day or two. Because otherwise, they're looking at a, a long layoff, basically 10 days between 10 games. 10 days, yeah. yeah. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. It'll definitely motivate you. I mean, if you're if you're, when you're a competitor and you get so close to your ultimate goal, um, and then you fall short, I mean, it, it's something that will motivate you for the rest of your career. I mean, uh, it was a it was a bad feeling in that locker room after the game. Uh, I mean, you don't want to have that feeling again. And so, uh, uh, we luckily enough, we'll have, we'll have a lot of the same guys back, um, um, and we'll, we'll obviously add new guys and. And uh, we'll, we'll set, set the tone from the beginning of the year, beginning of the offseason, um, that we have to be uh, better. We have to be better than we were this last year in order to, to go out there and win the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes right there, going to motivate it. You don't want it to happen again, but it's kind of the nature of football, PK. Tom Brady wins a lot, and he basically wins one year out of three. And he wins a phenomenal amount. So that going to be the last time Mahomes is in that situation. Yeah, I mean, that was all basically – cliche if you're a competitor blah 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 blah. you want to beat your grandma on checkers this is going to motivate you blah 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 I mean whatever longtime NFL defensive back Richard Sherman set to become an unrestricted free agent next month told reporters he hopes to play two more years and then retire he's 33 says it would take a miracle for him to resign in San Francisco they got a lot of free agents and of course everybody's going to have cap space issues and what are they going to do well it's a 33 year old defensive back so my guess is he'll try to find somebody who's a playoff team who feels like they're one defensive back away from getting to the next level. But 33 for a defensive back, you're pretty old in the NFL. <laughs> Daryl Green would like to talk to you. Uh, he's He's got to be Sherman's uh, go-to guy at this point, right? Anybody play longer than Daryl Green? George Blanda. As a defensive back? Yeah, Blando, he would, he would only line up in the nickel. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Iowa State coach Matt Campbell has agreed on a new contract through the 2028 season. His new deal adds three years onto his current deal. He's a big coach, Big 12 coach of the year in 2020. As uh, they got to the Big 12 title game for the first time, they went to their first New Year's Six Bowl. So he's coach of the year for the third time in four years. He's got a big contract. What are the odds, PK, that he's still coaching at Iowa State in 2028? You want to handicap that? 2028, man. That's a good long time away. I don't know. I don't know the first thing about him outside of, you know, just this, what he's been doing on when I watch on television. So I don't know where he's from. I don't know what his aspirations are. Uh, I don't even know how old he is for that matter. I can go by what I've seen, but I'd have to look all that stuff up to see what uh, what 
what type of tie does he have to this area, which could help. You know, I've always said that if you're uh, one of these decent programs, but not a great program, you know, one of the marquee programs in the country, you know, like Kyle Whittingham, he obviously had a tie here. Get one of your own, so to speak. I don't know if that's who Campbell is. Uh, Matt Campbell, 41 years old. He's basically an Ohio guy. He's in Iowa, so he's not, uh, he's not that far away, but it's not that close either. I probably wouldn't have looked that up. I don't think our listeners really care, but I know that's who you are. He's been linked to NFL jobs, so as much as it's college and get home and all that stuff, uh, is he going to get big money in the NFL? Yach just passed along, uh, one more football note here that Marty Schottenheimer just passed away, and we knew he'd gone, uh, all, he had been battling Alzheimer's, and he Gone into long-term care there, so. Long-time NFL coach with uh, multiple teams passing away this morning. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Seven-inning doubleheaders, PK. They're coming back for another season, and runners on second base to start extra innings will return. However, expanded playoff format will not return. Doesn't look like the National League's going to have the DH either, so... There you go. A partial back to normal and a partial continuation of what we saw in last year's shortened season. Is that for the regular season? Uh, that's how I took it when I saw it, the report. Okay. I mean, I, I don't assume they're going to be playing doubleheaders in the playoffs, so I assume that was regular season. Not. I was wondering if it was for spring training, and then they were going to see how they went after that. I don't know. I'm asking that question. I'm not saying that's what it is. Uh, yeah. I think it's regular season. Shohei Otani signs a two-year, $8.5 million deal with the Angels to avoid arbitration. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Jazz and Celtics tonight. We'll talk with Eric Walden, Utah Jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, and John Corrales, host of Locked On Celtics, will join us coming up at 9.05, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes or Toast brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Cadillac owners may have changed, but luxury has not. Come see the bold new lineup of Cadillac at Jerry Seiner Cadillac today. Jazz and Boston Celtics coming up a little later than usual tonight, 8 o'clock start, because the game is on TNT. Question of the morning, do we hate the Boston Celtics? And you lived in L.A. They hate the Celtics, PK. Does it trans- do. But they, they played them in the finals a lot, too. So they got a lot of head-to-head battles with them, yeah, you know, multiple generations. So... For the rest of us, though, do we hate him? Obviously, here you got the Gordon Hayward angle. He left here, but now he's gone. So there's still residual loathing over that. Or 
Hayward's moved on, and you've gotten over it. Josh says, not anymore. Josh must have been good good and fired up for a while, and then he let it go. Also think that uh, Ute fans way back didn't like Ainge. He's running the Celtics. Yeah, there's another link for uh, a part of the fan base here. Kevin says, I don't hate. It's a waste of time. Oh, you're missing out on one of life's great pleasures then. Good for you. Jersey, hello. I mean, really, sports is a waste of time if you want to think about that. So, come on. I disagree with that. That's part of the fun. Ryan says, Gordon Hayward is gone, so I guess we cool. He's let it go. That's where DeJuro is, since Boston got nothing out of Hayward and the Jazz got everything from Mitchell. I only dislike them. Uh, that's close enough. <laughs> Ballpark to hate? Yeah. I don't hate him, but I live next door over in uh, Dislikeville. Tony says, hate's a strong word. I reserve that for the Lakers. I just dislike the Celtics. A lot. Oh, I don't see much difference there then. It's a fine line, Tony. <laughs> Chad, my history of hate. Derek Fisher, Ronnie Cycli, Ron Harper, Dick Pavetta, Darren Williams, and Ennis Cantor. <laughs> hate through the ages. <laughs> Except I think they mean Derek Harper, not Ron Harper. I think they do. I don't know. Ron Harper, the Bulls, and they got you all fired up because he's a Bull and a Laker. <laughs> he's also a Clipper. He made Phil Jackson look good for too long. And a Cleveland Cavalier. Yeah, but I Derek Harper was Hugo living in Utah, so I think he did mean Derek, not Ron. Yeah. Where's Hayward on that list? Hayward oh, is it? not on that list. He didn't put Hayward in there. Wow, come on. I know. That was the whole point, I thought. If you have those guys, what's worse? Not wanting to come or not wanting to be here and leaving? Not wanting to be here and leaving. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I would agree with that 100%. Because then you, you at least, if you don't want to come here, there's the out. Well, if they were here and they saw how good it was, then then that would win them over, right? But yes. with the Hayward thing, it's like, now nah, I saw you people up close. I'm, I'm done with y'alls. <laughs> I, I, I can't handle you people any longer. I'm, I'm out of here. I think Hayward was the biggest slap in the face that this franchise has ever had. Ever. Um, so I guess the other people who were here, I'm looking at people on the list, you know, Bavetta, it's because calls and the other people, uh, Cantor was here and spoke poorly after he left, but do you chalk that up to immaturity and he's just blathering, he doesn't actually know what he's talking about. I I can't take him seriously. Jess brought that upon themselves. I can't take him seriously. He's all over the place. They drafted him way too high. And then, you know, they had to have O'Kerr as a countryman talk to him to try to get him to grow up. They should have known that. That's on them. Cantor was an immature person 
But that a large portion of that is on the franchise the way I see it for drafting him in the first place. You should have known that he was somewhat of a goofball and was interested in entertaining and uh, like drama and those types of things. And I think that he just lashed out because they got rid of him and he didn't know how to respond. That makes sense to me. Be interesting now if, uh, I don't know, if he has any regrets about that. How about D. Will? Because there was a fallout with Jerry Sloan retiring. So that puts an extra spin on it. And they were pretty like sure that. he wanted to leave. I mean, they were pretty sure he wanted to leave. And, I think, you know, we didn't get to that moment, so he would have had the chance to change his mind. But I think everybody who covered the team in that era was pretty sure he was on his way out, too. Well, Darren Williams is sort of a cliche story. He gets there and uh, works his way in the lineup, and then he becomes one of their better players, and then he starts acting up. Like Deshaun Watson's not demanding a trade two or three years ago, but he's established himself as a star, so you can get away with those types of things. And we've seen that. That's that's as old as pro sports, basically. When you when you make it, you know, then you start exerting your influence and your willpower. So uh, I don't know that Darren Williams, any situation he was going to be in, he didn't seem like a very lovable guy. And then he made peace at the end. So, and it wasn't like, uh, man, Darren Williams was the missing piece. It's it's clear they should have drafted Chris Paul. And if you compare the and Williams was okay. He was a nice player for them, no question. But if you're going to compare who they should have taken, they should have taken Chris Paul. Well, Paul's obviously stuck around in the league a long time, but as far as the missing piece, I don't think either one of those guys is going to end up being the missing piece. I mean, Darren's done, so we know he never got to an NBA Finals. We'll see if Chris Paul does, but it doesn't look like he's going to. Well, you would still take a Hall of Famer over a non-Hall of Famer. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. Brian says the pettiest fans in the NBA. Of course. Of course they hate the Celtics. Pettiest. The pettiest? Yes. <laughs> More uh, likely to I be would... slighted than anybody else in Brian's book. What is uh, petty? What's the definition of petty? That's a wide-ranging. I would need more information on that. I could say, is petty, uh, Is in a way, is it another word for emotional, uh, connected, uh, loyal, you know, what's the difference? I don't know that there's a, depending on how you define petty, there might not be much of a difference between that word and loyal and devoted, those types of words. Which is why any slight, the fan base goes nuts. Because they're loyal and devoted. Right, right. Don't I mean, that's, that's talk about our guy like that. He's our guy. Now, I've lived in the New York area and Phoenix, L.A. here. So one, two, three, four, five, six, six teams, right, And in those markets. And I, and I can say 
that this market obviously is the smallest of them, although living in Phoenix at the time, I've said this many times, reminds me of living here when I lived there in terms of their passion and connection to the team. There's a lot of connection there. I see a lot of similarities. But it seems like in this market, you know, they really build up these guys. That These guys are great guys, and they're, you know, in their off time, they're helping old ladies across crosswalks and those types of things. And they really, really get into And I'm not saying that's bad, but they really get into that type of stuff. And it's really important that they view these guys as just not just great players, but special human beings. And you wonder, uh, you know, why is that? It doesn't seem like it mattered as much. You know, James Worthy gets picked up for prostitution before the game. And uh, uh, big pregame. All right. You know, what are you going to do out on the floor? You know, how would that be? That wouldn't fly here at all. Uh, And there's that, that. And a lot of that is good. So I think they, they build them up with not really knowing who these guys are. You know, I always saw, like, when, when Malone was always mangling the English language, you know, so many people would justify it. Well, that's the way they talk down there and all. Instead of just saying, oh, okay, he's a great player, and he mangles the English language, and just leave it at that. They felt the need to defend him for it. Like, I'm thinking, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, part of He's it, a great player. Yeah. Part of this goes back to what you said about, you know, Phoenix then. Because Phoenix now, they've got teams in so many sports leagues, and you just, the seasons run together, and if one team's no good, you just move on to the next team, right? The Cardinals had a a period where they sucked, they had a period where they are pretty good, and everybody hopped on board. And the Suns have been pretty good, and now they've sucked, and so everybody just kind of moves over to the Cardinals. But the Diamondbacks won their World Series, and they were the toast of the town then. So I don't think you spend as much time in obsessing and latching onto a team and its players. Once you start getting that, you know, third and fourth team in town, um, and you'd yeah, have the same experience in New York and New Jersey. I mean, there's just so many. And when you got one team, and it is it is everything, and you just analyze it and go back over it again. And you know, we haven't lived in Portland day in and day out. And it's funny because I think there's part of that going on in Portland, but there is something in Portland where it isn't. It's important, and they're really fired up about the team, like the players, and, you know, Lillard's their star now, but it's other guys in other generations. But talking to the guys in Sports Talk Radio who've gone from here up to there, and we've had a couple of them, uh, it's, it's not the same thing. You know, it, it is more intense here, which is going to lead to all the stuff you talk about. Yeah, that's fine. So it's, it's partly being in that one team, that one horse town, but it's still... It's still different here. I, I think it is different. I mean, we we place a, a, a big-time value on that type of stuff. And I think the franchise knows that and, and tries to get guys who will fit into the community as much as possible and have that be as good as possible. And that's great. And there's uh, nothing – I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just a – and I think the management is aware of that and – if they have that, then then great. I just, I mean, I don't know what these guys do in their private time, nor do I want to know. It's really none of my business. <laughs> you know, to me, they're all basketball players. That that's it. That's the that's the way I look at them. Now, don't go break the law, 
and all that stuff, and don't get in the way of winning. That's the, I think that's one of the bigger things I admire about the franchise is they don't have issues that get in the way of winning. And if they have an issue that gets in the way of winning, they tend to remedy it pretty quick. And I think that's important. You know, if you're not going to have the best player in the league combining with another top 10 player, you have to find other ways in which you're trying to win. And, you know, having everyone pushing towards the same goal, I think, is goes a long way. And once you have guys that are taking different routes and everybody's not on that same path, well, it's going to be harder to get to that destination. You may never get to that des- destination of winning it all, but at least if you're all pulling in the same direction, you know you, you got to have the you're going to have a better chance. And so I really appreciate and respect that they try to be as drama free as possible because that just sucks. And we've had many teams over the years have had drama, and it's just not worth it. You're never once you introduce drama, unless you're overwhelmingly Shaq Colby talented. And even them, they got some titles, but they left probably as many out on the table as they got. Now, they got them, good for them, because they were overwhelmingly talented. Uh, and it seems like those guys like drama. And it seemed like, for whatever reason, Phil jo- Jackson, drama seemed to follow him, too. And he knew how to manage it. Uh, and so it worked for them. But they had overwhelming talent, so they could get, get away with it most of the time, or some enough of the time to be considered legacy players for sure. The rest of the franchises, you know, unless you have that overwhelming talent, it's probably not going to be the case. And so I really respect that they, they try to eliminate drama as much as possible. David says, we don't hate Boston. We love Boston. And the fact the Celtics saved us from ourselves. Uh, that's interesting, though. How would that have been? I don't know that necessarily he would have been a bust here. How would it have been? I can argue, man. They would have still drafted Mitchell. I mean, I don't know that. You cannot just take out one thing, put it back in its place, and then every other piece falls in exactly the way it did and has. So you don't know that for sure. But I, I, to me, uh, I think that uh, Mitchell wasn't going to be denied. And so I don't know that Hayward is ever going to be a number one option. Remember how Stan Van Gundy came on and said he was a number four option? I do remember that. And that seemed like, wow, that was way down the line as far as what we thought. But as a second or third option, you know, would he have, would it, would it work? Maybe it wouldn't work. Maybe he thought of himself as, say, I'm such a big fish in a small pond here and I got to get out. It's funny because. You know, I think he did think of himself like that, and he wanted the glory and all that stuff. And Boston was going to get it. Boston, when Boston wins, there's no franchise bigger in the NBA. There's there's ones as big for sure. Uh, you know, Chicago. You know, the usual suspects with the size of the city, uh, and obviously the Lakers. But when Boston wins, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, they haven't won in a while, but it is a pretty big deal when they do win. Certainly. Uh, And so he went and chased the bright lights, and it didn't work. And now he's back in a market that's probably, I don't know, I'm not in the Charlotte market. I've been to Charlotte. Uh, They had the NBA draft there, and I covered it when Van Horn was there. Just my luck, the one year 
and it's in Charlotte when the watchdog sent me back instead of not, you know, not New York or some glamour place in the summer is in Charlotte. And I was killing time the day before the draft walking around town and I kept bumping into Tim Duncan and his family because they were doing the same thing. And it was so small. Seemed like every other block I was seeing them. <laughs> this is a small place. So Hayward went to what I would think is a smaller place. And so now he's going to thrive again. Was he one of those guys that was made for prime time? I don't think so. And if you had Mitchell, who Mitchell seems like he's made for prime time, man, he can handle himself. And, I mean, Hayward, if Shaq would have said that to Hayward, which obviously you never would have, uh, geez, Hayward might have been gone for six weeks. And Mitchell just let it roll off his back and use it as motivation. So it's hard to know how it would have played out if Hayward had still been on the roster, but it's easy to see things like, you know, Bogdanovich isn't here and they don't have the money for him, and they've already got Hayward. You think about the big shots Bogdanovich has hit, right, to beat Milwaukee, to beat Houston, other big shots not as dramatic as that, but those, those are the two most dramatic ones. Just cause, you Hayward's know, right a better player than Bogdanovich. You like him better? Because in oh, the yes. biggest moments? yes. Because it drove you nuts, him driving down the lane, looking for a foul at the end of the game and flinging the ball off the backboard. Now he's a young player, so maybe he gets into that. Yeah, but Bogdanovich wasn't driving down the lane. I think that part of that was coaching, too. I mean, one time I I said that about coaching, and then Locke asked me, well, what play I would draw up? I said, I have no friggin' idea what play I would draw (laughs) up. I just know that play sucked. I'm not a coach. I'm not being paid $5 million. I'm being paid what I'm being paid to second guess. So that's my job. So I'm going to be critical. That play sucked. Doesn't mean I know what play to draw up. That's not what I'm getting paid for. <laughs> so I always like that. Well, what, what what would you have done? Hell if I know what I would have done. <laughs> Hell if I know. <laughs> so that's not what I'm. my job description is. My job description isn't to draw up coaching plays. Uh, in the final seconds, my job is to criticize them or praise them. That's what I'm getting paid for. But to, to me, I mean, Bogdanovich isn't driving down the lane creating. Uh, the ball got to him with uh, no time left, and he shot it and went in. Good for him. But I, And that's great. But I still, if I look at the two players, Hayward's better than Bogdanovich. More skilled, but does he really want the big moment? And it goes back to wanting the bright lights. Does he want? I think he does. And and this is probably what all of us do. I think we do under our own terms. So then do your terms work or not? Oh, I think it could have worked here. If I've got Mitchell... As the lead dog, and I got Gobert guarding the rim. Yeah. I think Hayward would have figured it out. Because I also think players want to win, too. And winning is what's going to bring you the most attention. You, know, you, you can look at a number of players throughout the years. Going back. Hornacek. Okay. You get more shots and all that stuff if you would have stayed in Philadelphia. But you weren't even close to winning. They sucked at the time. So he came here and loved it because he was winning. So I think and, – and then if you don't want that as far as winning, 
and maybe you have to sacrifice a little bit, then I don't want you here in the first place. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. More jazz talk coming up. More Celtic talk with Eric Walden. 8.30 this morning, jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. John Corrales hosts Locked On Celtics at 9.05 right here on 97.5 at 12.80 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Have we ever talked to John on the air? No, no, and I've got questions. Is he there? I'm here. Hey, John, how are hey, you? Hey, John. I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, John, yeah. while we have you. No, no. We've had a, uh-huh. a, a long back and forth about a pitchfork incident. I want to know the details of my buddy here and your brother running a pitchfork through you. <laughs> we were out working and, you know, cleaning our hands or whatever you want to call it. And uh, he thought that he was like King Triton and he uh, threw that pitchfork and uh, oh! that is <laughs> true enough. He sat on the mark and put it right underneath did you throw a trident? Yeah, I killed a guy with a trident. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. Got multiple questions up on Facebook. Major League Soccer players ratified the agreement with the league to avoid a work stoppage so the season begin as planned. How about that good news? And we've got uh, people posting gifts of babies yawning, Bugs Bunny yawning, Kermit turning, giving you a deadpan. He's buckled up, though, behind the wheel of a car. Kermit's very safe. Oh, good. That's, that's The bigger picture here is, PK, nobody wants to hear about your labor troubles right now. Figure it out. Play the games. Everybody's stressed. Everybody's sick of the pandemic. America needs a little entertainment, so if you can play a game, and I suppose bigger picture, make a movie, sing a song, don't tell me about it, the labor problems. The entertainment industry needs to entertain. So soccer games will go on a schedule for the people who love that. Good for them, and nobody wants to hear it. Football, baseball, basketball, hockey, go right down the line. Game time. Please entertain me. Yeah, I think that's the issue here. Rather than the individual, and I realize soccer is a always somewhat of a lightning rod topic. The people who are in it just defend it to the nth degree, and the people who hate it want to rip it as much as the other guy wants to defend it. So you've got this constant volley going back and forth, and that it'll it'll be that way. I think. Well, who knows? For the next fifty years, maybe. Uh, people try to say that's gets growing in popularity. Oh no, it's not. It sucks and it's boring. Blah blah blah. So we can just debate that back and forth forever, uh, at least for the next X amount of years. But I think that in the world we live, we're all always looking for good news. And I think you're exactly right. Is sports has been that great escape for so many of us, and it's been a form of entertainment. And it's one of the reasons why I just said my respect for the Jazz is no drama, because I just hate that, man. I want to turn on whatever it is, whatever floats my boat sports-wise, and be entertained. I don't want to know about all this other stuff. And we've had a lot of that, and I think that's for some people, you know, that's the – Stuff of, well, I don't want the politics in. Now, if your politics match what the player's politics are, well, then by all means, let's have politics. 
you know. But if the second somebody comes out and says, "Hey, you know, I I just I'm so against abortion or what have you," we don't. We, it seems like you can only really be vocal one way. And Drew Brees said his grandfather or whomever stood for the flag. And next thing you know, he had to apologize. And maybe I'm loosely remembering the reason why he apologized, but I do know he had to apologize. So it seemed like, depending on what your view is, you know, if, you're, if your view is one thing is okay, and then your view another wing over here will keep you out of Hall of Fame. Kurt Schilling supporters think that. Whether it's true or not, that's what they think. So you've got that going on. So I think for us, a lot of, for many of us anyway, we turn on the TV and we follow sports to have fun with it. And labor isn't necessarily politics in the way we define politics, but it's still, soccer has enough people to make the league go and it's been around and it doesn't look like it's going anywhere and it's looking like they're expanding almost every year it seems. So it's a viable option for those who are interested. And I think most, if not all, sports fans are completely and totally turned off by labor issues. So this is good news. Whether you like the sport or not, doesn't really matter. This is good news. And for those who like it, you're going to get it. And you're going to get it on time, I believe, right? I mean, this isn't going to start here next month. And that's a good thing. So I believe that is a good thing. If you don't like it and you want to make fun of it, that's your call. Don't turn it on. No one's forcing you. But for those who like it, to have it available to them, this is good news. You think it was baseball in 94 that kind of um, flipped it like people had just had enough? Because up until then, there'd been a lot of labor stoppage. And the NBA's had a couple since then. But it seems like... There's more of an awareness like, hey, we got to be careful how far we push this. I think the, I think they do, yeah. I think they're aware of that. But I think the fan hates it on every level. Wasn't it, uh, was it 1981, the, the baseball was interrupted? Yep. And then they have, like, halves or something? Yeah, they had the first half of the season, and then there was labor issues in the middle of the summer. And yeah. then they came back, they figured it out and got a deal. And so they had the second half of the season – and the thing I'll always remember about that is that, well, the Dodgers won the World Series, but the Reds had the best record and didn't qualify for the playoffs because they weren't hot enough in either half, but they were really consistent. And that's when baseball playoffs were still really, you know, it was still only four teams going. And so they got, they got aced out of it, and people were like, what was that? <laughs> what was that? And then the NFL had a couple seasons, had a bizarro nine-game season, and they had a season that they they used players who broke the uh, the picket line, uh, the scab players, and they counted the games as official games, and that was completely weird. But then when baseball didn't have the World Series, basically it comes down to, well, if you have your labor problems, we'll hate you for it, but we'll come back. But don't take away the championship. Because in all of these, you know, baseball had the World Series the other two times, and football had the Super Bowl, and basketball's had a couple of big disruptions here. One was a 50-game season. I think the other was 66. And they had the NBA, but they still had the NBA playoffs and the NBA finals. They had disruptions at the start of the season. Don't wipe out the championship. Because when there was no World Series in 94, that definitely rubbed a lot of baseball fans the wrong way. And it cost the sports some momentum. Uh, to me, anything, any any form of labor, you all, as Dave Rose said to us years ago, <laughs> you guys got a good thing going, don't screw it up. 
That was solid advice from Dave Rose. Very simple. It was very simple, and it was spot on. That's that's yeah. good advice. When in doubt, remember this. It's not complicated. Right. And, I, and I actually remember that, man. I oh, remember I when he said it. I, I thought and, it was hilarious when he said it, and it's yeah. funny now. It's funny because it's so simple, and yet it's so true, and you could go around... You know, movies, music, you know, whatever. I mean, well, we've seen it in music, right? Groups that are just crushing it, and, and there's personalities and whatever, and they break up, and then then they realize, you know, a decade or two later, maybe we ought to overlook that and start touring again. That was good times. <laughs> right, yeah. We, we were printing money. I mean, we could get along enough to do that, couldn't we? And I've known Dave for a long time. I think of all the coaches in the community, he's the one I've known the longest, and I had talked to him about this job because, like Bronco Mendenhall, when I went from the newspaper to the radio and quit the newspaper, he quizzed me on why I did that. Yeah. You know, what was that? I remember standing there on a practice field, and he wanted to know. He was interested in knowing why I did what I did. And we, I remember talking to him about it, and I told him, I explained it, and he said, oh, okay, I'll treat you the same way then. Because he did treat differently guys who were there every day versus guys who weren't. And so for him, it was all about putting in the work. And Dave, I've gotten to know a little bit on a personal level, and I remember having a discussion with him about doing what I was doing and why I was doing it. And so he had some knowledge, and then he comes out on the on, – I said he said it on the air. He said, you guys got a good thing going. Don't screw it up. <laughs> and he said it like big brother, and he's a little bit older than I am. And so, yeah, that made sense. And I think that's the way most people view these sports. You guys are lucky enough to play the game. I think that's one of the reasons why Joe Ingles has made this incredible connection, this foreign dude speaking English as a native language, so that certainly is helped but he's a foreign guy coming over here and he knows he says it time and time again i'm very very lucky to be doing this he's so he constantly expresses gratitude and his negotiation was like okay you're going to give me this money man that's a heck of a lot of money i'm going to sign boom it's done and so i think that attracts him to the fans and i don't think he's doing it to make himself attractive to the fans i think he's doing it because that's who he is and i think that's the way most fans want to view this that you guys have scored big time and you're very now you work to get it i'm not saying and you just roll out of bed, and the next thing you know, you're an NBA player. But nevertheless, you've got a good thing going. Don't screw it up. I think that's the way most people view sports as far as labor goes. I think that, uh, well, was it 2013 or 14? Somewhere in there, there was a labor agreement in soccer, and I really wondered if they weren't going to get it done, which would be a terrible idea. This one felt like it was always going to get done. It was going to get pushed right to the end, and the owners were going to get most of what they wanted, and the players would get a few things here and there, save some face, okay, this isn't that expensive, we'll give it to you. But it was always it was always going to get done. So, it's done. Next. All right, next up for the Jazz is the Boston Celtics tonight. Coming up, we got more on that game, and Eric Walden, Jazz writer for the Trib, joins us in half an hour right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Minky Couture. The best blanket ever is also the best gift for Valentine's Day. Get 30% off right now on any regularly priced blankets with code word WELCOME30 at MinkyCouture.com. Take care of that Valentine's gift today by visiting a location near you in Ogden, Leighton, Draper, Orm, Sugar House, or St. George. That's Minky Couture and Valentine's Day. Check them out at MinkyCouture.com. All right, PK, we got news breaking, sort of. During the uh, during the break, it's all over Twitter. <laughs> I guess nothing changes. I thought maybe things had changed, but that's just me being an idiot. 
Notre Dame and Florida announced a home-and-home football series for 2031 and 2032. Pat Forty tweets it out and says, That's cool, albeit distant. Andy Staples, another national football writer, tweets it out and says, Hopefully the person bringing me jello at the home will change the channel to those games. You know, there was talk that maybe with all the scheduling stuff, stuff would be scheduled on shorter notice and we could get more big games and matchups because you schedule what you think is a big game, but then one or both teams is down and it's not that big a game. What do you think is happening now during the pandemic that will actually change sports for the better? You know, hey, this is the way we've always done it. We had to do it different. It's better. Let's keep doing this. And I think for college football fans, it was kind of cool you know, that it was too short of notice. But if there had been like an extra week's notice for that BYU Coastal Carolina, that would have been good. It's a game you never think would have been good 10 years ago. Nobody would have thought it. It was impossible to think. Coastal Carolina, I don't think it even moved up at that point. But you get there. Now, it was crazy short notice. But there, if there would even been a, a full week to install a game plan, it was a good idea to have these two teams having big seasons play each other. But apparently we're going right back to the old model and we're going to schedule games 11 years out. Well, I don't know that you can do that, though, without having it be on short notice. Because you wouldn't have it. The evidence that these two teams were good wouldn't be there until you got to where you got. Right. The Coastal Air Carolina is a complete and total newcomer. BYU is not. They're not on the national radar consistently now, but they're still a brand name. I mean, that's why ESPN has got the contract with them in the first place. I mean, if they weren't a brand name, and you can argue you'd fans that they aren't a brand name, but just the fact that they actually literally have the contract with ESPN proves that they are a brand name. You can't have it any other way. They're not going to go with some other non-brand name program and have an individual contract with them. It's just not going to be. But Coastal Carolina doesn't have that rep by any stretch of the imagination, so they need to prove themselves. And so if you're, what are you going to do in that situation? You're, suppose uh, you're going to think, okay, we're going to keep that game uh, or that week open in case we're really good. Well, suppose you're not really good. Then you don't have a game. So I think it was a complete and total unique situation that I do not expect to have happen again, and it sounded cool in the moment, and it was cool, but that was just like the one time that it was cool. And and they ran, like San Diego State and Colorado put something together, and that didn't really resonate nationally. You know what I mean? It was nice that they played, and, and great, great for them and for the kids involved to have an opportunity to play a game. That's what matters the most, I think, for them. They work so hard at it. They want to get out on the field, win or lose. You'd rather, I would think you'd rather play and lose than not play at all. So uh, why not do that? Sure. But I can't see that I had any level of expectation that this was going to happen long term. It just doesn't make any sense. And you, can't, you just can't do it that way. So what have you seen in sports you think can be kept? Something that is cool. Baseball certainly changed a bunch of its rules. Seven inning double headers. Looks like we're going to have another year of those. I think a lot of people are thinking, finally, we're going to have the DH in both leagues and have the same rules. Apparently not. <laughs> so that was not sticking around. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. The one thing that just, just doesn't make any sense to me is that the World Series in the parks, I think they should just alternate years. So irregardless of the park, 
So you can have four games under this set of rules and three games under these other set of rules. That just seems so ridiculous to me. I'd just as soon have it this year we have it, this year we don't. Go that way. Because don't they flip-flop? Yeah, they originally did do the alternating years thing, and then I think there was a complaint, well, some National League rosters aren't built to have a DH, so if you hit the wrong year, you're you're stuck at a disadvantage for all yeah, but seven you games. Would, you would know the whole time, though. You would get to September and October, or excuse me, even August, and you think, okay, we got a shot to be in a World Series. Let's go get a DH. <laughs> well, you can you can cultivate one. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the Dodgers built their roster differently, and there's a bunch of stuff being written in San Diego about the Padres copying the Dodgers. As far as it's it's almost NBA ish. Instead of having eight position players, well, maybe not the catcher, but seven position players who you're planning on playing at least 150 games each, you know, barring injury. And then the catcher, you, you just you can't catch that much. So you got to split that up. Uh, but the Dodgers having guys, uh, multiple position, positionless baseball, you know, and having three guys for two spots and they can rotate guys through and they're built to absorb an injury and <clears throat> they can give guys days off, you know, uh, when you have a Saturday night game and a Sunday day game, and you can kind of mix that up and not have the fatigue, and now the Padres are building the roster that way. Well, you kind of build a DH in at that point. You may not specifically have a DH, but you have an extra guy who you who can hit, who you can just plug into that spot if you get to the World Series, which you know the Dodgers often do. Yeah, but every team in the National League wants to have that problem, right? <laughs> that means so, you're in the World Series. Yeah, so I mean that's like uh, that's first world problems here uh, and I don't like, I, the fans they don't give a crap about that put somebody up there and give them four ABs and see what you can do and so you know, I mean that that's all that matters and so uh, I, I think they should get that squared away but I, I, I don't I don't know that there's things that could stay uh, long term in baseball if they want to do these seven inning double headers they don't play double headers though so they're playing doubleheaders because of the opportunity to make up games. And there was 40-some games that were missed last year. And I think that uh, across the board, only two weren't made up. And they used that seven-inning doubleheader thing. But once we get back to normal, they're not going to have doubleheaders. So that's going to take care of itself. The stuff that I like, that uh, it tr- these uh, little bit of mini homestands here with the same team, the Mavericks mm-hmm. uh, twice. Twice in three days. And I particularly, I love it uh, for college basketball. Uh, and maybe this year, college basketball seems to be so far off my radar this year, yeah. more than ever. Yep. And uh, and maybe that's a lot of it is because of the pandemic. And it's hard, particularly in the Pac-12, it's really hard for me to get excited about the races and who's going to win the conference and all. And uh, because teams that just stop and start, and you're talking about the uh, the Cougars going to have 10 days off. Well, there's been plenty of Pac-12 teams that have had multiple times they've had more than that uh, this season. They how, didn't play. If how long they, was if, ASU down? They were down like three weeks, wasn't it? And they're down right now. Yeah. They didn't play last week. So you got another situation here. So what do you expect uh, on these teams here, especially these teams that bring in these transfers and, and they get one-and-done guys. It's like, oh, forget it. Just go out and play a few games. If you win, great. If you don't, I, I'm not really going to 
hold you accountable in that way. It, it's it's it, the, the West the basketball here. Oregon's been that way, and, and just like, I, I really can't get into it. So uh, if they can go forward, I like how they play these little uh, two-game homestand deals. That to me has generated a little more interest. I mean, like I would normally not be paying a whole lot of attention in January to Colorado State and San Diego State, but yet when I saw San Diego State blow that lead and Colorado State won, and then the next game, I think it was on a Monday, I paid attention to it because it was fun to see. Okay, can this team come back? How are they going to handle after blowing that lead? And I suspect that San Diego State, if they get a big lead, is going to go hammer them, and that's what happened. So it added a little bit of extra intrigue rather than just another game against another team. So if they could do that, that would be fun. I would like that. But I got all sorts of rule changes in sports that I would love to see happen. That have already been tried in the pandemic or haven't even been tried yet? No, they haven't been tried. Like, for instance, if you foul a guy on a three-pointer, it should be three shots. Irregardless of whether it goes in or not, why is it, if I get fouled on a three pointer, why am I only taking one shot if it happens to go in? No, I should get three shots. That's what the shot is. It should be N three. <laughs> <laughs> well, would you give N twos then? I yes. Mean, so guys driving layup. Yes. Yeah, that would really. Yes. That would really have coaches teaching people not to foul. You would take a lot of the physicality. It, it would just be too big a risk. Well, but I mean, I they'd just yeah, be lecturing guys, do not foul. Giving up four-point plays and six-point plays. Free throws don't exactly uh, highlight the great athletic ability of these guys. But to the degree that they get people to stop fouling, that lets the better athletes have more chances to make incredible shots because the defender isn't going to be trying to get away with something. And, yes. And and you can't blow the whistle every time. It's got to be a judgment call. So they inevitably do get away with stuff. I mean, guys get bumped on shots all the time. I was clean up top. You ain't got him with the body. You just don't want to call it all the time. So you don't call it. Right. Yeah. It, it makes no sense to me. If I get fouled on a three, you fouled me taking a three. Where's my three shots? If I buy a six pack, I want six bottles. They're going to give me five. I want six. That's what I'm buying. I take a three-pointer. I get fouled. I want three shots. Change that. In football, you get three chances to kick field goals. That's it. They're like timeouts. You get three. Not per half the entire game. I want to see more offense. I want to see some little dweeb come out there and kick the ball 62 yards. Go for it on fourth down. Give me some drama. Yeah. There's all kinds of statistical nerds out there saying that coaches are way too conservative. And if you do the math, they should be going on fourth down for more. And I think it's trending that way slowly, but oh, so slowly. But that rule would just automatically speed it up. Do we want to take the three early in the game? I mean, it's fourth and one here. Why don't we just go for it and save that field goal try for later? Right. Now, if you get in the formation and fake it, that doesn't count. As one being used? Right. You get three chances. You got you can run your kicker out there as often as you want. If you fake it, that doesn't use a chance. Right. Okay. I'm fine with that. Right. I want more strategy, more excitement. This is entertainment. Make it more exciting. 
make it so Johnny and Joe and Mary and Jane up in the stands. What's he doing that for? People love that type of stuff. Uh, you need a, you need a one on one sit down with Roger Goodell. <laughs> no one has taken more chances with tweaking the rules. I mean, the NBA has certainly tweaked the rules, but with the NFL is just nonstop. I mean, it's really like it's an off season story. Combine, draft, what rules are they tweaking? Preseason. I mean, it just it rolls one right into another. Yeah, and then when you get down to like that thirty-five yard line or whatever, uh, they, you know, we're kind of no man's land. You know, what do we do? Depending on our kicker, uh, how good is he? Is he on a hot streak? What's his level of confidence? What's the wind? All, all those types of circumstances that factor into it. You got all these things. I'd like it to be more of a of a strategic game. And what do you do? You roll the dice. I mean, that's why gambling is just so huge, right? I mean, essentially, in a nutshell, gambling, if you boil it down, no matter what what game, part of the gaming that you're playing, it's basically rolling the dice. That's gambling in a nutshell. Is it not? Yes, I think it is, right? And then not always. <laughs> You'll handle this. Go ahead. <laughs> you don't have rolling the, you don't roll the dice on everything. If you're playing poker, you're not rolling the dice. Right. But essentially, it's a big roll of the dice and people love that stuff. And I'm looking for ways to create more excitement, especially as we go forward here and the the amount of entertainment options and what's available to you. now? I mean, now you can get new release movies at home, not to where it used to be six months, a year or two later. You know what I mean? I do. They've, they've been releasing stuff, and like literally the day it's on the theater, it's also available to stream at home over one of the six streaming or eight streaming services or whatever it is. That's By the way, that's going to irritate me going forward. Just to be clear, I'm going to complain about that a lot, so brace yourself for that. About what? Too many streaming services. Everything's spread out. i got to oh, okay, pay so okay, many okay. different things to get what I... Oh, my gosh. Whatever you want. Fortunately, yeah. when then the Super Bowl, when Paramount was... I'm like, another one? It turns out that's just CBS rebranding the one that's already existing. So that's not another new one. My, I get your point. Yeah, yeah but I mean, that, what's going to happen is it, whatever sport you follow, whatever team you follow, none of them are going to end up on the same streaming service. You know, if you want to watch, uh, NBA is going to be on one, right? Baseball is going to be another. The college conferences are going to be spread out all over the place. I mean, it's going to drive us nuts. How about this? TD Cougar come. If you get fouled on a three, you shoot the three free throws from the three-point line. Is that jacking it up too much? That gets a little – that whole idea of shooting free throws on the spot you get fouled – I was going to say, do they get their choice of where they shoot it because they can go to the corner and have the quote-unquote shorter? I think his point is if you're fouled on a corner three, you shoot from the corner, but if you're yeah, fouled you're beyond fouled. the top of the key, you got to shoot them straight away. It's an idea. I'm okay with them going to the line to make it a 15-footer. My idea is to eliminate as much fouling as possible, put more uh, you've got to play defense with your feet and those types of things. Let these guys who are just awesome – collectively as athletes let them have freedom of movement because they can do things that are just right otherworldly right we want the skilled player to show their skill because that's why we're all watching as opposed to watch the goon just beat them up (laughs) which is really 
massive oversimplification, but basically what the NBA did when they had their massive rule change and decided, hey, we've got the world's best athletes. Why are we letting these guys bump every cutter that goes through the lane just because Pat Riley said it was a good idea? You know, so that— they took away a lot of the contact, and that allows the better athlete, the more skilled athlete, the more gifted athlete. You know, I mean, watching I, – I, they showed uh, – when I was watching the highlights, I wasn't watching the Warrior Game Live, but the highlights I saw, they showed like five angles of Steph Curry's uh, crossover between the legs, forward, backward, and then hit the three to beat the first quarter buzzer. They showed it from like five different camera angles. I watched it from everyone. There, there was no that. part of me that was going to grab the remote and change the channel on that. Remarkably skilled athlete. I want to see him do stuff I can't do. And who could do that? There aren't five people on the planet who could do that. And Steph Curry can. So I'll watch it. And I'd also it. look at one of the things Jazz do this a lot. If there's a potential uh, disadvantage numbers, boom, they foul the guy right away. Oh, yeah. That's definitely sweeping the league. And that but slows it stops, down the game. It, it slows down the game. It stops fast breaks. That's where you're going to get, you know, some spectacular alley oop and yeah. very. It's it's really common in the NBA. You're right. The Jazz do it a lot. Uh, That's basically hack a shack. Yeah, and it's just hey, foul fifty or sixty feet from the hoop. You're at a disadvantage, and they know that eight times out of ten or nine times out of ten, this is going to end poorly. Once in a while, someone misses a layup or dunk, but mostly right. it ends poorly. So just commit the foul. Yeah. Just just in the last game, I think Joe and Donovan Mitchell both committed those fouls to stop break 60 feet from the hoop. All right, DJ and PK, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, we're talking jazz. Eric Walden, jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, and we are brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday from 2 to 6 at The Warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Let me just say, Boom! Time to welcome in Eric Walden, Utah Jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Eric, good morning. How are you guys doing? We are doing well. Not as well as the Utah Jazz, who are doing very, very well, having won four in a row. And 15 out of 16. And here come the Celtics. Are the Jazz really this good? I think they're Jazz fans. You've lived here a long time. You know, Jazz fans wait for the other shoe to fall. Should we wait for the other shoe to fall, or should we just accept this is one of the top two or three teams in the league? And maybe they're better than that. Uh, this 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 team is god awful. I hate to break it to you. you know, <laughs> they're just terrible all the way around. Uh, it's all smoke and mirrors, it's a mirage, house of cards, whatever other cliche you want to throw out there. They're just, you know, this record not not sustainable. Not going to last. They're terrible offensively, terrible defensively. They can't rebound. They can't defend. Uh, or conversely, you know. They're pretty good, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think I think fans are uh, I think fans are right to be excited this this time. You know, um, what we're seeing out of this team that we haven't seen out of teams in the past is they've they've finally found that balance on both sides of the ball. You know, we we went through all those years of these Quinn Snyder teams where they're a top three defensive team in the league, but uh, couldn't keep up with the Golden States and Houston Rockets of the world. We go through that major retooling, you know, bring in Mike Conley, bring in Boyan, bring in Jordan Clarkson, and they can score with anyone, but they they overdid it a little bit, and then and the defense uh, became, you know, not quite where it needed to be. And this year, you know, we're seeing a team that's been consistently among the top four, five, six in both offensive rating and defensive rating. 
they're among the top one or two rebounding teams in the league. They've got a bit of everything, and, and if they can stay healthy, there's no reason why they can't be among those top one, two, three, four teams in the league. So when you're winning at this rate, Eric, it's really just incredible. I don't think anybody's going to expect 15 out of 16 or whatever it might be going forward. But when you look at this team during this incredible run that they have have had, what do you think is legitimately sustainable, not just over the regular season, but what we can expect in the postseason? Well, um, they've got a lot of scoring options, right? So, I mean, you you look at those games that Donovan Mitchell missed the other day, right, or or a week ago when he was out in the uh, concussion protocol. How does this team fare a couple of years ago if, if Donovan Mitchell is out, right? Like, you're pretty much just uh, penciling in two losses right away. So the fact that uh, this team has additional high-level scoring options. We know this team can can put the ball in the basket. We know this team can generate open three-point looks. That's sustainable. Uh, the rebounding is sustainable, right? I mean, on top of Rudy Gobert being just one of the best in the league, they've they've designed a system now where even though Royce O'Neal is, is an undersized uh, four, if you will, He's averaging, you know, an incredible number of rebounds. We're seeing, despite what Shaquille O'Neal says, we're seeing Donovan Mitchell get involved in rebounding. We're seeing Bogey a little better in rebounding. We're seeing uh, even Mike Conley is posting like a career high in offensive rebounding percentage this year. So that's sustainable. Um, I guess what uh, what what concern I have going forward is, you know, this team is still a little turnover prone. And uh, we're, I, I think that's occasionally where we see things go wrong with this group is uh, when they're not taking care of the basketball and when they're not consistently running in transition one way or the other. Um, when they're not doing it defensively, they're, they're giving up too many easy points, right? And we've seen that on a few occasions. And then, you know, you take the game that they had against the Pacers the other day where they're just tired. And, and, you know, you can explain that one away because it's the third game in, in less than four days. But um, they've had situations where, um, you know, they've had that happen where they're not running on offense, even in situations that are more favorable and advantageous to them. And that's when you kind of constantly see Quinn Snyder calling timeouts and saying, why are we walking the ball up the court? Why are we taking our time and not sprinting up court and not spreading the floor and generating these advantages that we've worked so hard to create? So those are probably the problem areas where where you'd like to see a little more consistency. One game at a time is a cliche. They really seem to do that and not worry too much about the streaks and possibly the doubting at the national level. Shaq's the highest example, but there's others that are the most obvious example. But there's other examples out there. Does that keep these guys motivated? Are they really in the one-game-at-a-time mode because they don't seem to hit flat spots, dull spots, and just kind of lose their edge for no apparent reason? As much as any team is in that mode, you know, I, I never fully believe these guys when they're like, we're not looking ahead at all, you know, like, of course, our our attention is fully focused on the Charlotte Hornets and the Atlanta Hawks. You know, it's like no no team's attention is ever fully focused on that. But 
uh, I will say, you know, up to, up to this point, this team has done a pretty incredible job of, you know, maintaining as much of that focus as they can. You know, we've had, we've asked them on several occasions, you know, hey, what about such and such a stretch coming, you know, coming up in the schedule? What about this team that's lurking? What about that matchup? And, you know, to their credit, they're like, yeah, like we, we know that stuff is out there. We're not going to pretend, you know, that we're so myopic, so singularly focused that we're not aware of that. But um, it, conversely, it doesn't do us any good to worry about that if we if we have a slip-up against, you know, the Hawks or the Hornets or, or whoever they're playing, you know, the Pistons that happens to be, a, uh, a team that's further down the standings, you know, all of these wins uh, ultimately count the same towards getting home court advantage. I don't know if home court advantage is even going to be a thing even by the end of the season or not, but you know, we'll see. And um, you know, for, for those people who are wondering how they stack up against the top teams in the league, I think we're going to find that out over these next two weeks. Right. Yeah, that leads me right into directly into my next question because they do get a heavy dose of this Western stuff. So do you think – I try not to overplay one game on a game-by-game basis because in the playoffs, even if you win in the regular season, you still got to be – say you beat the Lakers coming up and they've already beaten the Clippers. you got to beat them four times. But collectively, uh, are you putting a little more stock into these games here in these next couple of weeks? Yeah, you can't not, right? I mean, these are, these are the games that that um, really kind of give you an indication of, okay, is this, is this team legit? You know, a lot of people have been saying, well, you know, it, it's easy to win 11 games in a row when you're playing the teams they were playing, which I don't think that was necessarily true. I don't think that was necessarily fair. You know, you had the Bucks in there, you had the Nuggets in there. Um, Andy Larson, who I work with, took a look at that schedule and he's like you know that, that was a perfectly league average schedule they played during that time but at the same time you do want to see how they compete against the top teams in the league and I mean they've had a few of those games already they've, they've beaten the Bucks already this season you know they've beaten their one-on-one against the Nuggets but they've got the Celtics team coming in tonight that's good you've got the Bucks following that uh, the Miami Heat have not been great this year but they're a team that made the finals last year so who knows? Sixers coming up, two games against the Clippers in a row, uh, a rematch to the Hornets, and then and then the Lakers. Yeah, like we're going to learn a lot about this team during that stretch. And um, I guess the thing I would say is let's not overreact one way or another. You know, if if they come out of this winning more than not, you get definitely confirmation. I guess you would say that that this really is one of the elite teams of the league, and. If maybe they struggle uh, against this against this slate, you know, then maybe you take a step back, you reevaluate. Uh, at the same time, you know, teams go through bad stretches, and and it would be understandable to go through a bad stretch against that slate of teams. So even if uh, even if they're less than perfect during this stretch coming up, I would say I think this team is is good enough and quality enough and has the right mix of personnel and, and skills that um, you wouldn't need to get too critically upset, even if uh, they, they weren't perfect during this coming stretch. 
Well, good luck with that, with people not reading too much into it, because people are dying yeah, to read Every, something into it. Yeah, rational when it comes to sports <laughs> and the jazz in particular, right? Exactly. That's exactly what we've learned. Total rationality at all times. Yeah. Uh, and as long as we're being rational, uh, there's a lot of rational jazz fans. So the reason they're worried is not because of the jazz. What they're worried is that the jazz are a half game in front of the Lakers, and the Lakers are coasting, and LeBron will take it to another level in the playoffs. And right now it's just, yeah, I mean, I'd rather win than lose, but let's, let's not get carried away with this. Uh, because he, he can afford to be rational because he's been to the mountaintop multiple times, and he knows what it takes. How much do you buy into that line of thinking? Uh, that, that's, a, that's a pretty valid line of thinking. You know, I mean, uh, LeBron is the gold standard in the league right now. You know, the Lakers are the defending champs. Um, they had the best record, at least. I forget if it was in the entire league or, or just in the Western Conference last year. I want to say the Bucks had the best record and the Lakers were the best in the West. And then they went out and all they did was had Dennis Schroeder and Montrez Harrell and and, and you know, Mark Gasol and uh, kind of a murderer's row of talented basketball players. So, um, and and then on top of that, they've still got that Anthony Davis guy to go along with LeBron James. So, uh, it's a completely valid concern. You know, the Lakers should be considered the favorites going forward until someone knocks them off. And you know, on top of that, this was a this was the one team that Dennis Lindsay came right out and said we did not match up well against them. You know, that, the Lakers were the primary reason that he went out and made Derek Favors his, his top free agent acquisition. You know, I mean, obviously they needed an upgrade over Tony Bradley and, and Ed Davis, and Favors uh, is going to help throughout the regular season against the whole uh, assortment of teams um, backing up Rudy. But the Jazz were just too small to viably, you know, kind of compete with the Lakers. The Lakers threw him all sorts of matchup problems. So we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, there's a whole lot to that. You, know, you, you you look at the games that the Lakers have played, and there's not been a whole lot of them up to this point where you're like, they are, you know, they're in top gear at the moment. So we'll see how it goes. Um, we'll see how the Jazz match up against them. And ultimately, you know, you're right. It's, it's going to come down to can they beat them four times in the playoffs, and and we'll see. I think right now, barring a catastrophic, catastrophic number of injuries, I think in the short term, the only thing that's going to slow them down would be an injury to go bare because I think that he is the most indispensable player on this team. Now, favors can step up but then you don't have anybody who can step up for favors. So, to me, it's critical that they keep Gobert out on that floor as much as possible. How do you see that? Right, right. You're, uh, yeah, couldn't agree more there. Rudy is, I, I was speaking with, uh, I was speaking with a guy from a radio station in Vancouver last night of all things, and, and he's asking me about various guys on the Jazz and, and you know, who's kind of, quote-unquote, most valuable. And, you know, we got to talking about Rudy and the national perception of him. And, you know, I, I mentioned to him, look, Rudy is one of these guys who, looking at the numbers on, on you know, a website or a, or a spreadsheet or whatever, does not do him justice. He's a guy who, if you don't watch him play night after night, game after game, you can't truly appreciate the impact that he has on this team on both sides of the court. And, yeah, 
you know, Fave is a, is a great backup, but ultimately he is the backup for a reason, which is that Rudy is, um, you know, a superstar defensively and an incredible screen setter and rim roller and, and lob threat offensively. And yeah, if they lose him, uh, it, it's game over and they're screwed. Um, you know, beyond that, I guess the, the 1A right now would be let's see how they look without Mike Conley. You know, the offense kind of bogged down in Indiana the other day uh, with, with Don and Joe running things solely. Um, you know, even though, even though Donovan got nine assists or 10 assists or 11 assists, I think he was the one rebound short of the triple double, right? He wound yeah. up with 11 assists. Yeah. But we still had, we still had moments where they were kind of slogging through the offense. Now, how much of that was the schedule and being tired in the early start? Those are all potential factors. Uh, I'm curious with Mike out again tonight, you know, what the offense looks like and how highly tuned it's, it's running. So, because um, Mike's been incredible this year. You know, he's been everything this year that Jazz fans were hoping he would be last year. And so if he's out for an extended period, with this with this hamstring uh, issue, then you know that's potentially trouble as well. Eric, we appreciate a few minutes as always, and we will talk to you again later this season. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, guys. Happy to talk to you anytime, except maybe PK. Oh, him I have to him I have to limit myself. I can only take you in small doses. Is that because you got a large <laughs> dose of the trib back in the day? Exactly. I'm yeah. still. I mean. When did you leave, PK? You know, I've never left uh, <laughs> in that way. I think I've, I'm still around, but technically well, I left in 2000. That's, that's what it feels like sometimes, and this is I where my left. comes in. Yeah. No, actually, Eric and I go back to I trained him. He was at my feet when he was uh, working for the student newspaper at the U. So a lot of the success I think you can contribute directly to my tutelage. Yeah, so anyone out there uh, who who has a feeling about me one way or the other, um, it's it's PK's fault. So there you go. (laughs) Nothing's on you. All the credit and all the blame goes to PK. Exactly. I'll take the blame. There you go. All right. Eric, we appreciate a few minutes. Thank you. All right. Take care, guys. You can follow Eric on Twitter at TribJazz. He's got the at TribJazz handle right now. Eric Walden, jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. We're taking a break. Coming up, John Corrales, host of Locked On Celtics, will join us in about 15 minutes right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Apparently, there is a bowling alley having a naked bowler night. What a surprise Jeez. you picked this story. What? Well, it's unusual. There is one particular item of clothing that everyone must wear. Bowling shoes. Boy, that's Whatever one time go. you don't want to see Harry pick up the 710 split. <laughs> You have a one-track mind, you know that? How do I have a one-track mind? This is an unusual event. What sport would you most prefer to, uh, not, to, to, no, to play I'm not, naked? No, I'm not participating. <laughs> what about naked axe throwing? <laughs> Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. A lot of news out there today. The Jazz and the Celtics tonight. The big game. The big game last night. BYU lost to Gonzaga 
And PK, they didn't answer the bell. Those first four or five minutes, yeah. they get down 15 to two. The big guys, you know, Dave Rose, recording the wisdom of Dave Rose this morning, excellent career advice to us. You got a nice thing going here now. Don't screw it up. <clears throat> and then what he said about Gonzaga a long time ago, they not only have the best big, they have the best two bigs. Sometimes they have the best three bigs in the league. The quality and the number of BYU big guys who can contribute is up. But there's a difference between contributing and having a really good game against the best team on the biggest stage. And three big guys who at different times have done stuff for the, for the Cougars, they were combined 2.7 rebounds, one assist. Just really nothing from three guys combined. You know, and they don't all get to play big minutes, but across the game, the three of them combined had enough minutes to do better than 2.7 rebounds and an assist. And I know the 19 turnovers is an easy thing to go to, and it was definitely a big problem in the game, but I'm, I'm not convinced it was the biggest problem. Both those things were enormous problems, and the reason BYU ended up losing that game by 11. Well, I think they were intimidated right from the start. I mean, it was 15-2, to two, was it not? Yep. And I texted Yak, well, let's just go to bed. Yeah, right. We all thought that. And you were right. Go ahead, Yak. It, it bore out the rest of the game that they never got within, was it eight was the closest they got the rest of the game? Yeah. And it was just completely and totally inexcusable. Your home floor, you know Gonzaga's a really good team. Let's just take nothing away from them. I mean, they've got so many weapons. Mark Few is just unbelievable. They ought to just name that Few University uh, the way he's been – He's built a, a program. I mean, you talk about the model of consistency. I think he's in his 21st, 22nd year. Every freaking year, every freaking year they've been in the NCAA tournament. It's just absolutely amazing uh, that what what he's been able to do. And they've gotten better. They're not just a nice, cute program up there in the Northwest, out there uh, in the middle of nowhere. No, that's not it at all. They're a legitimate national power. And they bring in guys. Who was it? Uh, Farnham was talking about. All their guys, um, listen, some NBA guys. There's a bunch of guys that I even forgot. Uh, now, you know, some of them, they haven't really, it, it reminds me of what uh, Lute Olson had, uh, where they put a slew of guys into the NBA. None of them are really big-time stars, but they play well together at the collegiate level, and that's what Mark Few's job is to win these college games here. Uh, you look at a kid like Kisberg, it reminds me, it reminded me of like a, Sort of a right-handed uh, Chris Mullen a little bit. But BYU, I was thoroughly disappointed that they didn't answer the bell. I didn't necessarily expect them to win, but to get down like that two, three, four minutes into the game before the first media timeout was bitterly disappointing. And if you want to look at their big guys, well, you look at the box score, and they didn't do jack. You know, they got a couple of big guys that are out. Uh, maybe that could have helped Baxter being probably mm-hmm. the uh, first and foremost guy, but it seems like he's been injured uh, his entire uh, college career here, and that sucks for him, obviously. But, yeah, I agree with you. They just didn't compete to the level that I felt they needed to compete at to give themselves a chance. And maybe, you know, last year they had a slew of leadership. They that might Mark Pope could coach at BYU for another 25 years. I mean, he never had the type of leadership that he had last year. It's so unfortunate that they didn't get to show it when they got into the NCAA tournament because they had a ton. And right now, uh, you know, who is it? Is it Barcelo? Okay, but who's augmenting him? I don't really know. I mean, I, I, Loner has just impressed me big time. The guy's a player. 
And BYU basketball fans, you got a great opportunity to look forward to him doing his stuff and getting better the next couple years because he's going to do that for sure. And it's somewhat disappointing that they really didn't have anybody backing him up, Barcelo, as far as that goes. I don't know that I can expect a freshman right now to do it. But they didn't really show enough guts at the start of that game, and that bothered me. All right, DJ and PK, John Corrales, host of Locked On Celtics, Locked On NBA on the Locked On Podcast Network, joins us next to talk Jazz and Celtics tonight. Stay with us. The best blanket ever is also the best gift for Valentine's Day. Get 30% off right now on any regularly priced blankets with code word WELCOME30 at MinkaCouture.com. Take care of that Valentine's gift today by visiting a location near you in Ogden, Layton, Draper, Orm, Sugar House, or St. George. That's Minky Couture on Valentine's Day. Check them out at MinkyCouture.com. Time to welcome in John Corrales, host of Locked On Celtics on the Locked On Podcast Network. John, good morning. Hey, good morning, DJ. What's going on? Well, we are curious about the Boston Celtics and how good they are. And the record says they're 12-10. and 10. They have been one of the better teams in the conference for a few years now. How good, how good are they? Have they slipped a peg? What's the deal? Yeah, I'm also curious about how good they are because we haven't seen their full team. Uh, it, it's been a few different iterations of the Celtics. And, and so right now, the Celtics are, are kind of treading water in a lot of ways. They, they spent the first part of their season without Kemba Walker. Um, they, they signed Tristan Thompson, but he came in with an injury. He didn't have a training camp. So we're only just seeing what he can do. Uh, Jason Tatum has missed time due to the health and safety protocols. Jalen Brown's missed a couple of games. Marcus Smart is missing most of this month uh, with the calf strain. So, the full strength of the Boston Celtics has not yet been realized at their best. The little that we've seen, they can be in that contender realm, maybe a step below the Lakers and the Jazz, the way the Jazz are playing right now. At their worst, they don't look very good. They don't have a big margin for error. They've got, obviously, superstar-type talent in Jason Tatum, and he's really only starting to scratch the surface of that. Jalen Brown is starting to knock on that door a little bit. But they still haven't figured out how to play with one another now that Jalen Brown has taken that next step. So really when you look at the Boston Celtics, there, there's a lot that this team still has to figure out. And when you look at them from year to year, it seems kind of crazy because Danny Ainge is a wheeler and dealer. We all know him from being out here and talked to him many times over the years. But it seems like there's been a little struggle with continuity from season to season to allow this group – whatever group it might be, to develop to its full potential. Can we say this group, and I realize there's guys been in and out of the lineup, as you've been saying, but is this the group that Ainge and his guys plan to have for a couple years, or is going to be more changing of the roster? Uh, wow, you're asking me to predict a lot there. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that Danny Ainge is done. I mean, he obviously has a traded player exception. They, they lost – Gordon Hayward, so they have basically a $28.5 million coupon to spend on another player without sending uh, back anything in return if they don't have to. So there's still some question about who they're going to target with that, which teams are going to make certain guys available. So they're certainly going to add a, at least one recognizable name uh, they prefer by the, the trade deadline. Um, there is some question, not that he's looking to shop Kemba Walker, but when you look at the Celtics' timeline, 
they have a 23-year-old and a 24-year-old, and, and those are their two main guys. And Kemba Walker is sitting out there as a, a 30-year-old, and he makes you know, $30-plus million over the next two years. You have to wonder if an opportunity comes up and Kemba Walker is, is somebody that another team would want, whether Danny Ainge would entertain that. Now, I'm not saying he's looking to shop Kemba, but it's, that possibility exists. Whenever you have a player that's on a different timeline than the rest of the team, that's a, that kind of sticks out a little bit. So you know that Tatum and Brown are going to stay. You have a good feeling that Marcus Smart's going to stay at least for a couple more years. And then it's a matter of can they, can they add a, a player versus a uh, player with the traded player exception that, that fits this timeline and, and whether Kemba Walker can adjust his game enough to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm comfortable being the third guy. I can, I can stay by you know, the, the corners and whatever and adjust my game so I can enhance what they're doing so you don't have to go and, and shop me around and search for somebody new. DJ, PK, we're talking Celtics right now with John Corrales, host of the Locked On Celtic Network. Jazz and Celtics coming up tonight. So uh, there's a little bit of a Gordon Hayward obsession here. I I think it's easing. (laughs) It's easing. It's, you know, they didn't have a ton of success. They didn't win a championship, so some people lightened up. And then he moved on, so some more people lightened up. But no one has completely forgotten him either. Write the final chapter of the Gordon Hayward Boston Celtics story and the, uh, you know, how much was it a mutual decision to part or or not? Um, I, I don't. I don't want to say it was mutual, uh, but I think that it's, it was certainly was nothing to the level of what happened in Utah. I mean, it, it certainly because he was a different player back then. He was the future, and you know, it was it was pre Donovan Mitchell, and you kind of felt abandoned by a guy who's supposed to take you to this level. This conversation that we're having about the Utah Jazz being the hottest team in the NBA and, and the best record was supposed to be the Gordon Hayward-led Utah Jazz. Now, there was no – after Gordon Hayward's injury in Boston, that kind of all went out the window. So and, – and it feels so long ago. There was a, a Kyrie Irving, you know, dalliance in there. there. There's so many different versions of the Celtics that have existed since then, and, and Hayward never quite got his footing. So I don't I'm – a, I'm a Hayward believer. Like, I'm not surprised by what he's doing in Charlotte. I, I still think he's very good, but I, I'm, I don't think anybody in Boston was like, well, we just lost the key piece to, to the Celtics making that next step. I think the Celtics having Gordon Hayward would be very helpful because they need a wing like that. But at the same time, he, wasn't, he, he didn't feel like he was getting the full use out of his skills. He wanted to go somewhere to do what he left Utah to do, which was be the main guy and, and, and make all his money and make all-star teams, and he just wasn't going to be doing that in Boston. He has an opportunity to do that now in Charlotte, and as much as I think the Celtics can use him, it's, it's just a matter of like, oh, all right, you, if you want to go, you got to go. So we know how that played out. As far as the one of the reasons why it played out, was it just simply the emergence, one, Taylor or, or Tatum, and two, Brown? Yeah, I think I think having seen that this was going to be their team moving forward, like they have, they were clearly the one-two, and Kemba was brought in, and he was going to sort of be the three, 
uh, is in, in the uh, you know on the totem pole there. And I don't think Hayward was thrilled about the idea. He said he was willing to come back, but I don't think he was thrilled about the idea of just being the kind of overflow offense guy or I'm going to move the ball and, and do my best to make them look better and put myself behind those guys. That I, I think that was just one of the driving factors because going to Charlotte, if, if winning was the driving factor, then he wouldn't have gone to the Charlotte Hornets. Like let's, let's be honest here. Um, they're, they're looking okay, but there's always going to be some question about whether the Charlotte Hornets are going to make the next move to, to really make that next step. Uh, if he wanted to win, he would have stayed in Boston or he, you know, going home to Indiana would have made more sense. So uh, I, I think seeing what was, what was coming in Boston and understanding that he was going to be minimized was, was part of the fuel. And also Charlotte gave him a ton more money than I think any other team wanted to give him. And, and that's also important too. John Corrales joining us, host of Locked On Celtics. So we need an outsider's view of how good the Jazz are. What is their ceiling, potential ceiling? Are they a contender, a strong contender? Are the Lakers still the favorite? Well, Help, help us out. Yeah, I would still put the Lakers as the favorite because they've got LeBron and Anthony Davis. And that, that to me, kind of trumps as far as on paper, what the Jazz have by a little bit. But that's not to say that if it was a Western Conference Finals, Lakers-Jazz, like, yeah, Lakers would be favored, but that would be, in my opinion, a seven-game series. And it, it may depend on whether the Jazz could get home court and, and have that seventh game in altitude, you know, at home. And if, if fans are going to be in there, then that adds another element too. So the, the Utah Jazz, for sure, I think are – are in that list of contenders. They have to be taken seriously. Um, I, I think the change in style where they've been shooting uh, so many threes and making so many threes, I looked at the numbers. The first year of Quinn Snyder's, uh, the first year of Quinn Snyder in Utah, they took 21.7 threes per game. They're now up to 42.1, so they've doubled the, the amount of threes. That's a significant stylistic change. In, in what the Jazz are doing. And because he's looking at his personnel and he's looking at what these, these, these guys can do well, and he says, hey, we're going we're gonna to start shooting these threes. You're shooting them efficiently. And you've got Mike Conley playing great basketball, meshing very well with Rudy Gobert. And I think Royce O'Neal is, is one of the most important unheralded players in the league. I mean, he's doing so much. And I think Royce O'Neal allows the Jazz to win games when one of the other stars, like a Donovan Mitchell, isn't shooting well, if he's having an off night, a guy like Royce O'Neal comes in and does enough to help the team win. So they're very well constructed. They're very well coached. They're disciplined. They know who they are. Uh, those are all factors. Uh, and obviously they've got the high-end talent. But those are all factors that go into a championship team. So the Utah Jazz winning it all this year would not be surprising. So you look at the Celtics as far as this ball game tonight. They're, I think they're five and seven in their last twelve. A lot of win one, lose one type of thing. I think tonight mm-hmm. they're wrapping up what their sixth game or six out of seven on the road and four or five in a row here before they go home. So it doesn't look like they've got injury issues. It doesn't look like on paper 
that they will put forth much of an inspired effort. But the Jazz are going to miss Conley, and I know the, the Celtics have their injury issues too, obviously. What do you expect out of them in this ball game? Well, I think the Celtics coming off of a very tough loss to Phoenix, uh, I think they're, they're going to be focused. This is the end of a road trip. They get to go home. This is going to be like the, the kind of rallying cry. They know that they're playing the best team in basketball at the moment. So they are, uh, I think they're going to be up for the challenge. Now, whether the guys that the Celtics rely on can actually live up to that, that's going to be a problem because uh, obviously Tatum, I think Jalen Brown may be back. He's listed as questionable. Kemble Walker needs to, to shoot better than he's been shooting. I mean, those three guys can carry uh, an offense, but it's it's the other guys that are trying to step up for the injured Marcus Smart. Uh, can one of the guys off the bench, they've been relying on Carson Edwards, Grant Williams. One of these guys, can they do enough to kind of hold off uh, their counterpart on Utah? And can the Celtics – pull Rudy Gobert away from the rim enough. They've got Daniel Tice. I think that Daniel Tice has been, first of all, he's been shooting well lately. So I think he can do a decent job of being a threat to, to pull Gobert away and, and open up driving lanes. If they can do that, then they have a chance. It really boils down to, can they open up the driving lanes for Tatum and Brown to get to the rim and draw some fouls? If they can't, if the spacing is bad and if Gobert is blocking a bunch of shots, then this is going to be a long night for the Boston Celtics. But if they can go out there and, and kind of eliminate the threat of Gobert blocking shots, and if they can, if their role players, if their unheralded guys can come in and play above their heads a little bit, they'll, they'll have a chance. I, I, mean, I still expect the Jazz to win this. They should win this. They're at home. They're a great team. But it, it really, it's hard to say exactly which Celtics team we're going to get. But if we get the good version, then they'll, they'll have a chance. John Corrales, host of Locked on Celtics. John, before we let you go, i, I got to ask you one football question, even though you're doing the Celtics podcast. I'm just curious about how, how Boston-area fans are reacting to Brady winning the Super Bowl. Is the mood in the town there, hey, good for him, he got a six, so whatever he can get in Tampa, good for him. Are they, are they bitter that he's gone? Um, hey, he should have finished here. Uh, we went through a little bit of that with Stockton and Malone here at the end of their career. Stockton finished, Malone played for the Lakers for a year. Uh, how's it going over there? I think I think generally people are are kind of like it's bittersweet, uh, but I can tell you this: I saw the ratings. The ratings for this game were higher in Boston than they were in Tampa, so there was a ton of interest. And I, I think generally speaking, people are like, "Well, Brady's done so much for this team that you know, all right, this is the end of his career. He went and got one somewhere else, kind of proving uh, you know Belichick and and Kraft like a little wrong." Like, I think that. They're they're behind Brady, and it's fuel for the hey, what are we doing over here now? Let's get the Patriots back into uh, into contention as well. But I, I there's certainly an element of people who are upset at Brady, but I think by and large, people are just happy for him. John, we appreciate the time. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime, guys. John Corrales, you can listen to the Locked On Celtics podcast he does and Locked On NBA on the Locked On Podcast Network. DJ and PK, everything you missed in this show, we'll wrap it up for you next. Stay with us. Number one. Make us your number one preset.
The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Washington to ball. Right side. Catch and shoot three is good. LaMelo ball. Seven threes. A Hornets rookie record tying triple. Porzingis against Reed with five to shoot. Puts it on the floor, got by him and to the rim. Going to the floor and laid it up and in, moving from left to right. To the left corner, Murray with two to shoot. Murray's got to fire up a shot in a hurry from the corner. He does, a three-pointer. It's good! DeJounte Murray switches a left corner three at the end of the shot clock. And the Spurs now lead 101-97. Schroeder wants LeBron, gets it to him. Dort has that assignment and LeBron just spins and slams. (laughs) Spinning slam for the King. Highlights from the night in the NBA. The game that would intrigue most Jazz fans is that Laker game you heard right there. The Lakers toyed with Oklahoma City for a while. Didn't have Anthony Davis. Rally took the lead in the fourth quarter. Messed up in the last few seconds. Fouled, let Oklahoma City force overtime, and then dominated them in OT. At the end of the night, all that really matters is the Lakers. They got the win, and they are a half game behind the Jazz. They fooled around PK, and they were shorthanded, but they were still good enough to get the W. Yeah, I think there's something a little bit more than that because the last two games have gone into overtime. Detroit, double overtime, and maybe there might be a little crack in LeBron if he has to be extended a whole bunch, and maybe it can pay off in terms of the Jazz looking at somebody who's not quite to the level. He's got to slow down at some point, and so if you're going to have the Lakers win, have them do it in overtime, have them do it in double overtime because that's extending LeBron, and those are hard minutes that he has to play. Maybe I doubt it, but I'm looking for a silver lining related to the Jazz that uh, maybe it'll show up and he won't be quite at the top of his game if the Jazz and Lakers should play in the Western Conference Finals. Elsewhere, the Suns have won three in a row, six out of seven, and they did it without Chris Paul. They had Devin Booker going for 36. Chris Paul is out injured. Suns beat the Cavs 119-113. There have been different teams in that fourth spot, PK. Clearly there's three big teams in the West. You want to nominate anybody else for fourth, or are they just going to battle and pass it back and forth? If the Nuggets are hot, they get the spot, but they cool off and the Suns get hot, so they get the spot. Is it just going to get passed around? I'm not willing to make a commitment just yet on Team ABC, so I can't say I feel strongly or stronger strongest about any of these teams that you just mentioned. Uh, you know, I'd put Portland in that mix, too. Uh, they get... Mm-hmm. They get uh, McCollum back. I know Nurkic. I think you made a big deal about that. But if you look at it, statistically, Cantor has better stats than Nurkic. That doesn't mean he's a better player, but just looking at the raw stats. But when you're taking two guys out of a starting lineup, well, then that's going to be hard to maintain. And not just two guys here and there, but two guys for a significant portion of time. So let's see when McCollum can get back on that team, particularly when they're so guard-heavy. Uh, so all things being equal, probably like Portland, but 
I don't know if things will be equal. I don't know who's going to be available. Uh, but, yeah, that, and that's important to look at uh, for a potential second-round matchup if the Jazz should finish with the best record mm-hmm. in the West. And I think we need to legitimately talk about the Jazz finishing with the best record at I least think, now, maybe it changes in a well, month. Well, I, I think there's multiple things. One, they're there now, so you can talk about it now. Two, I think what you say about LeBron is true. No one game is that important, but how much wear and tear can he endure in the regular season and still be at the highest level in the playoffs? And obviously it's a little different with AD out right now. And I mean, it's an Achilles, so you wonder if it's going to be something major. But for now, they're acting like it's minor and... We'll assume it's minor, and we know guys go through this. Joe just went through this. It doesn't always have to end up being some major injury. Um, but I think, you know, does LeBron get worn down and not be at his best is an interesting storyline. And the fact is, maybe the Lakers won't chase the best record. Maybe they'll end up resting LeBron because they think that. You know, who's to, who's to say what's down the line there? Um, so, but, but I also think even if the Lakers are going to end up as a one seed and the Jazz are going to end up in a 2-3 second round series, well then... Who, is, who are the Lakers playing in the second round, and is that team capable of pushing them is also interesting. So no matter how it ends up, I think there's some level of interest in who that fourth team is. Uh, the Nuggets were in that spot, but they've lost four out of five. Their only win in the last five games is the day they hit all those threes and beat the Jazz. Uh, they got beat by the Bucks. 125-112, Chris Middleton, 29 points and 12 assists a game. It was close at halftime, and then the Bucks really dominated the third and fourth quarter, and they pull away and win comfortably. Yeah, when you look at Jordan when he was doing his thing, wasn't he the same age as LeBron is? And didn't it seem like he was totally out of gas when he was winning that last title? I think the so team is a group. Yeah, I think the team as a group was, and I think he individually pushed it right. They pushed right to the edge. So we can hope. Can we pray though? Can we get into the in petitioning? Don't do tomorrow's show today. <laughs> Don't do Thursday's show today. Uh, all right, so that's uh, that's most of the big news in the NBA. Jazz and Celtics tonight, eight o'clock on TNT. So it's a little later than usual. Jazz game night. The pregame show starts at seven o'clock. Jake Scott and Tim Lacombe at seven o'clock. What? And then, hold on, hold on. I was preparing. Yeah, for just a minute there, I had you in there, but then I subbed you out. Uh, well, I, let me throw one thing out there. I wonder if Mitchell will have a little extra motivation since he knows it's a TNT game. Yes. How do you not? Nobody wants to be called out by Shaq. Shaq's an icon. He's a four-time champion. Yeah, but and if he's on be that called show. out, be called out by by somebody who's a jokester. And then you blow it off, right? But you get called out by somebody who's you know a four-time champion. You you can't forget it. It's not like it didn't happen. I mean, you don't have to make a big deal out of it, but you're human. You haven't forgotten, you know. And I also think I also think he played differently in the first quarter in Indiana. With uh, he knew he had started slow in a lot of games, and he knew Conley was out. And it's like I've got to score, and I got to set guys up for easy hoops. And so I thought there was already a little something there in Indiana. And with Conley out tonight, I think he's going to think that. And you do have the Shaq thing. Um, you know, he just narrowly missed the triple double by one rebound. Um, and that's oh, not really what they're talking about. I know, but they're talking about, hey, what else do you do to help your team win? Well, get a bunch of offensive rebounds. Win games right. is what you do. Just keep winning. <laughs> just, just keep winning. <laughs> Who cares else what case. your stats are as long as you're winning? Now, obviously, he's going to need to put stats. But the triple-double 
has occurred so much now. It's like it doesn't seem it, nearly as important as it nearly as a big of a deal. It used to be a big, big deal. Now it seems like guys are getting them left and right. Well, the offensive numbers in the sport have gone way up. It's harder to get a triple double when games are finishing 94 88. Now we got games finishing 131 124. Try 149 146. There's more points and assists to be had. The rebounds can be tricky, and, uh, and that's what Mitchell missed. If guys are shooting a higher percentage, and if everybody's got to get back on defense to stop the fast break, rebounds get harder to get. So, but, but to your point, there are more triple-doubles now. And also, they haven't always been linked to winning. You know, you can have a bunch of triple-doubles, but if you're Bird and Magic having triple-doubles, they're the ones who made them a thing, and they're winning NBA titles and playing each other in the finals. And then you've got guys winning the MVP, averaging a triple-double, but if you're going out in the first or second round, it's not as special. Maybe I'm misremembering, but living in the, in the, uh, the 80s and in the 90s with the Lakers, yeah. it just seemed like, did they win? Stats just didn't seem to matter. It seemed like you didn't get caught up. Um, that, come on, it, it mattered that Kareem was the all-time leading scorer and Magic's triple Okay, that's doubles. an all-time leading score. You and got it, me there. And it mattered that Magic had all those triple-doubles. I don't, but I don't. Chick always made a big deal out of it. Big deal, but it didn't okay. seem like it was a big deal. But it was all what Chick made me. Did it? it was, did they win? Yes, and see, that's the thing is, like winning is like it's a with you know it's always food with me. Winning is the turkey at Thanksgiving. Now, you want all the other stuff, too. You want the stuffing and the salad and the cornbread and the whatever else, whatever your own family special tradition is. But you got to have the turkey. You got to have the winning. You got to have the winning. I mean, I agree, and it just seemed like Magic was. Did they win? I can tell you, he won five titles. I can't tell you how many friggin'. I don't have any triple doubles he had either. No, nope. I come from a different generation than you guys. Growing up, we heard about how legendary the performances he had, and triple doubles were part of that. Right, but he didn't have a triple double and lose to Philly in Game Six. Yes, he won. Yeah, he won. He won. The Correct. centerpiece is always. The winning. Did they win the game? Right. But then after you get it, so why did they win? Oh, Magic got another triple-double. Magic's awesome. So 8 o'clock tonight for that. Uh, college basketball news breaking just in this hour. Utah State's games with Wyoming this week have been called off, COVID stuff. So they're going to miss three in a row here. And they got Boise State next week. Uh, so Scotty was talking uh, after Fresno about how they have – a week at the end of the season, they've got a, they've got some time to make up some games, but uh, the Aggies think are going to have too many games to make them all up. So, well, it's like it's a and it's a big deal to him because he really cares and that's his job to broadcast the games. But uh, you know, they're so they're only going to play one game in three weeks and they play Boise. Well, BFD, I mean, they're not alone. There's been plenty of teams who've been in this situation here, and does it suck for them? Sure. But, uh, you know, I'd have to go looking through the schedule. Did they benefit from any teams having games postponed? Is it just a negative? I mean, there's been so many teams, so many games missed that, uh, yeah, each one of them stink. But I don't, I don't want to hear it. Uh, oh, they, they didn't have the continuity, this or that. Yeah, I got it, as it is for so many teams who don't have it. It stinks every time, no matter who you are. San Diego State had that week where they didn't get to beat up on New Mexico, so they were missing the continuity when they played San Jose State. Is that a good example? Probably not. How about ASU and Oregon? You want to go with them? Yeah, those are two teams that have missed a ton. Yeah. 
and time you turn yeah. around. Yeah, in the West Coast Conference, we've seen a bunch of teams sitting down. It's it's been happening all over the place. And what just got called off was it North Carolina Miami? Because Carolina play, had two Carolina two players that are party unmasked, unmasked. A couple after of Duke. hours before the game. That was yeah. last night. So there's another game in the ACC that'll uh, that'll be called off. So uh, the college hoops BYU loses to Gonzaga, 82-71. It's uh, tied for the second closest game Gonzaga's played all year, but it never felt that close. Gonzaga got out to a 15-2 lead. BYU never got within eight, and when they did, Gonzaga pushed it right back to 15. So you uh, you can slow down one guy at Gonzaga PK, but another guy is going to go off on you. And uh, there's been a lot said about Kispert and his ability to shoot the ball, and he, four of ten for 13 points, nothing special. But but Suggs went nuts, and the 19 turnovers fed fast breaks and made it easy for Gonzaga, and they took control early and never let BYU back in the game. Well, Suggs is views as a top five pick. Yep. So he can do a little bit of everything. He's got size. He handles the ball and shoot decently enough. I mean, he's he's a jack of all trades, and I don't know if he's going to be a one and dunner, but it seems like he would. Seems like anybody who has an opportunity to play in the league takes off, uh, and he's just barely getting started here. To what level is he going to be a great player, or is he going to be a great player? He's already won here at the collegiate level. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be at the pro level. Uh, so they've got all the necessary ingredients, and I would like to see them win it. It would be fun to see the West Coast Conference get some stuff and get an opportunity to really shine. And it's just, Gonzaga is the West Coast Conference. Gonzaga might be the most dominant team in any conference in the history of conference conferences. Hmm. Uh, Kansas was the only thing that came to mind because they won so many conference championships uh, different this year. Well, Vegas in the PC2A Big West. Yeah, but Gonzaga, I think, uh, as much as UNLV won a bunch of conference titles, so that's a good comparison, the winning percentage every season, you know, UNLV would lo- usually lose a couple games. Somebody would take them down. And it doesn't happen with Gonzaga in that often. Season, BYU, yeah. get, BYU gets yeah. them, but uh, there aren't that many St. Mary's has beaten them, but I, I'll bet their record is better than Vegas's record in in purely in conference games. I bet they got a better win. Utah had a run in the whack. It was pretty spectacular, the, but it wasn't this in long. Nineties. Yeah, it's when you stretch it no, out to it twenty years. You know these other league, these other teams, other leagues. You you can find five years, eight years, ten, maybe even twelve years, but not twenty. Now some of that is because the West Coast Conference absolutely sucks, but recently. I don't think it's because the West Coast Conference sucks. I think it's because it's Gonzaga being that good. UCLA would have must have had a pretty good run in the Pac-8 back in the day. Now you're going way back, but not for 20 years. 20 years, that's what separates it. I just Nobody does it for that long. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean you look at SC in those days, and well, they would go 25-2 and two <laughs> and not get to the tournament. <laughs> They had some pretty good teams with Paul Westfall and those guys. Gus Williams, Bill Sharman. But two losses to UCLA, so you're not in the NCAA tournament because in those days they only let only let one in. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, uh, anything else you want to pass along to the people here? Get them up to speed on. 
Uh, we didn't talk about it, but it was in the rundown, the Washington State quarterback being suspended with the DUI, you know, wondering if that would open up a spot for Cooper, the kid out of Lehigh. Now, a lot of times in those off-season suspensions, they come at the perfect timing. It's an indefinite suspension. Yeah, well, the first game is until the end of August, beginning of September. We have 200 so days to the season. year old yeah, and a 19-year-old there driving drunk driving, or at least uh, was arrested and charged with it. He gets his day in court, so to speak. So I don't want to convict him ahead of time. That's not fair. That's not the point of the legal system, the way it works. But that's not a good situation. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there uh, following it. And we have a local angle uh, on, on that. We haven't heard Cooper transferring or putting his name in the portal Yock seems to be all over that with uh, any kid who gets his name in the portal. And there's been rumors of kids putting their names in, but I, I think in order to transfer, you have to put your name in there. That's correct, isn't it? Yes, you have to go to your compliance yeah. department, tell them, hey, I'm transferring, give them notice, and then they put you in. But the, your name has to appear in that. Correct, They have to yes. coach on that. Yeah, they have to go uh, into the portal. Yeah, and so far, there's a couple of names we've heard as potential uh, players who could want to come home, but their name hasn't appeared yet in that transfer portal, so they're not transfer eligible. And Maybe they won't be, maybe they will be, I don't know. Yeah, let me see what happens at Washington State if that's just a convenient off-season suspension and there's plenty of time to go through whatever disciplinary and then bring him back as a starting quarterback, or if they move on to somebody else's starting quarterback. See how that plays out for Washington State. All right, there you go. That's a lot of what we have been talking about. And uh, Shohei Otani, two years, eight and a half million. Think he's ever going to be the two-way player, PK? Or he's just going to be a hitter now? The arm stuff I never thought he was that. going to be. Yeah. I mean, I never thought that he would be that player. And there, we've never had that. Even Babe Ruth obviously transferred over to exclusively as an outfielder and as a hitter. So there's plenty of guys who, of course, they were pitchers in high school or even college, and then they have to decide which way you're going. So I never really thought that he was going to be the one the exception yeah. to what, um, I mean, several great, great American, and doesn't even necessarily have to be American, international players were but then they're not when they get to this level so to me i didn't know which one it was going to be now he's had all this arm trouble so the decision is sort of being made for itself uh and and i I just don't think that you can do both and be at your greatest at both no one's ever done it and so he was going to do it i suppose somebody might do it down the line uh, but maybe you could see as a not as a starting pitcher, you know, maybe as a spot guy, get this guy out here or there type of deal. Well, he it's uh, he was the one who seemed to be coming closest to being that one outlier who could try and pull it off. But uh, the arm trouble seems to have derailed that. But the Angels stay invested in him, giving him two years and eight and a half million, so he avoids arbitration and they make it a two year deal. So uh, you know. You just focus on baseball uh, here for the hitting, next couple of years. Hitting in hard the enough. major leagues is the most <laughs> difficult thing to do in sports. There's nothing else that is harder. And if you're not devoting all your time and talents to it, how are you going to succeed? I don't think you can. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12 AV The Zone. Your feedback next. 
And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. It really doesn't matter what anyone around here says. Soccer is the number one watch sport in the entire world. Period. You can argue all you want. Well, no one was arguing that, but okay. Thanks. <laughs> it comes in from Ben. <laughs> The point was the MLS players ratified the agreement. The soccer season was going to start on time. And the bigger deal is that we've been through so many delays in sports and it's entertainment, and especially with everyone's stress now. You know, games, a distraction. Don't, don't shoot yourself in the foot here. Don't, don't, don't mess up the easy part of this. Play the games. And they got to play the games. The season's going to start on time. And that, they didn't. That was the it, point. It, it's funny when we have uh... – People moving into Utah, no, 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 don't move into Utah. We don't want that. We want to keep what we have. But when it comes to sports, we want everybody to love what we love, and somehow that validates and verifies our fandom. So who cares? If you like sport, fill in the blank. If you like golf, which I do, and I like to watch golf, and but if nobody else wants to watch golf or if it's not highly rated, as long as it's on to me and I've got the golf channel, hey, I'm good to go. So I think that's the one thing that people will get kind of bugs non-soccer people is the other folks are just trying to always pump it. Just let it be. Let it speak for itself. It will begin speaking for itself in about uh, seven, well, probably seven weeks. Um so, there you go. All right, you can uh, always send us audio and send us your takes. Grab your phone, use the app, use the open mic feature. You can send us the audio. No singing today? Kay took the day off, huh? Kay hasn't been with us this week mm-hmm. so far. So right. Well, I think that he's right now he's mourning the loss of Mary Wilson, who died. And as you know, Mary Wilson, you know who Mary Wilson is, right? I do because I read the news this morning, but okay. You don't know who Mary Wilson is? Uh, singer, music, right? Don't, don't look. Yeah, I'm not looking it up. Founding member of the, the Supremes, the greatest the girl Supremes. group yeah. in the. I was trying to think of, of who the third one is. Music. Diana, Diana Ross, Mary Wilson, and who's the other one? I forget, and I'm not looking it up. Was there only three, or was there four? I thought there were three. I could be wrong, though. Okay. It's before my time, uh, I might have... Florence Ballard. Ah, okay. There you go. See, now, that wasn't before my time because my sister, who's uh, 11 years older than me, uh, I can remember coming out... Now that My two sisters shared a room in our house, and I can remember music coming out of their room, and my one sister just was an absolute Motown freak to where we went a couple years back uh, and my wife has relatives in Detroit and she came with me on one of the trips and we went to that Hitsville Mm -hmm. uh, you know the Motown deal in Detroit right next to a funeral home there Uh, and it was funny they weren't going to let us in we got there like five minutes too late for the tour and I looked at the gal and all the people that working there were all African American and I said come on man I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. Outside of Detroit, we are the number one market for Motown. <laughs> and she looked at me. 
And it took her a second to figure out. And then she looked at me and she smiled and she says, come with me. And she took us down a, down a hallway through a back way and we joined the tour in progress. Nice. Because <laughs> she liked my wisecrack there about how Salt Lake City. T- I still remember it took a second for her to realize, okay, he's just kidding here. But I like his attempt. And so she takes my wife down. Now, a point I'm making is that I just I bought a bag that had Motown for my sister, and I gave it to her as a gift. And she left it somewhere. I think they like to go. They like to go up to Lofton, and she left it there. And she called and then went back to pick it up because it meant so much to her. So the Supremes are something. I'm talking as a six year old kid. I grew up with that. And listening to my older sister play that. And so I love the Supremes. And so it means something to me here. And this lady, she passed, uh, what's today, the ninth? She passed yesterday, Mary Wilson. And the most successful Motown act of the 1960s were the Supremes. How about that? Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes. I mean, there's so many hits coming. I mean, that's why you named place Hitsville, obviously. Uh, I probably, sure. if you'd asked me, I probably would have gone with the Temptations or the Four Tops, but no, the Supremes. Uh, BYU, Ute, are you guys more disappointed in BYU or the Chiefs for not showing up? The Chiefs. I thought the Super Bowl was going to be a really good game. I didn't think BYU Gonzaga was going to come right down and give us a bunch of drama at the end. Uh, disappointing that BYU got you know run off the floor there in the first few minutes and, and could never get closer than eight. But I, I thought the Chiefs that. and the Bucks, I thought we were going to have some second-half drama. And it was pretty clear by halftime, uh-oh, <laughs> might have a problem with that whole second-half drama plan. Yeah, I never thought that the Chiefs would not score a touchdown. Exactly. And yet, there it is. They didn't. So yeah, Chiefs for me. Chiefs more disappointing than BYU there. Just because they had more expectations. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hands and Scotty are coming up next right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.